Well, we started the week on a little bit of a negative mood here, basketball-wise, in the States. We will end it much more positive on this Friday morning. Full moon, a little fog for myself on the drive-in. I am Kevin Bowen. You are listening to the Wake Up Call here, 93.5-107.5. Mark Dykton filling in for Andy Sweeney. Mark Dykton doing double dip right <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah, that's Running fun. the board and going to be on the mic here this Friday morning. Did you encounter a little fog from the west side? I did not. There was no fog on my end. I mean, it was a little slick. Like, I stepped out on our front porch and it was a little really? icy. And Ooh, I was, I was okay. kind of confused. I was like, wait a minute. It's like 40-something. Why is it Why is it icy? No fog, though. Not too bad uh, the moon on the driving. Right? Oh, yeah. I, I was trying not to get distracted by it. Yeah, a beautiful Friday morning from a full moon standpoint. And pretty beautiful whether you were in Bloomington, Gamebridge Fieldhouse, or Mackey Arena last night. Certainly plenty of hoops talk here on this Friday morning. We'll talk a little girls basketball state finals with the great Greg Rakestraw coming up here at 8 o'clock as well. Um, but again, quite the nights in each of those different venues. I do want to get to a Colts item at some point today. Uh, Chris Ballard, Shane Steichen going to meet the media Wednesday down at the Combine. I think tentatively, Mark, let's pencil Chris Ballard in for Thursday with us. Okay. That's what it sounds like. And I know you, if you want to, give a little bit of a preview to some of the guests we can expect next week at the Combine. Yeah, so we've got Daniel Jeremiah going to join us on Tuesday. He's going to give us a little preview of you know scouting Combine stuff and his his draft analysis there and everything. And it's him and Rich Eisen, right, on the NFL mm-hmm. Network broadcast. Yeah, so Rich Eisen will do his annual 40, I'm sure. We'll, we'll see what those times are and everything like that. Line out to Rich Eisen as well, so we'll see if we can get him. Dane Brugler set to join us. Jim Nagy who runs the Senior Bowl, set to join us. We've got a couple other irons in the fire so as well. Field Yates, maybe? Field Yates, yeah, he's going to try to swing by. He's doing get-up all week, so he said he would try to stop by. It would probably be in the first hour of the show. I said, whenever we can have you, Field, we'd love to have so you. So, again, group sessions for Ballard and Steichen Wednesday afternoon. Ballard with us, tentatively scheduled for Thursday. Again, we'll be down there, I think, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday from the NFL Combine. But let's begin last night. Frankly, let's begin in Bloomington. You know, when you see an atmosphere like that, Mark, I mean, it's, you know, it's a scene that, you know, certainly the IU women's program is not used to. It's a scene saved for whatever. IU Kentucky when I was there, IU Kansas from earlier in the year. I'm always curious, like, how does the home team react to that? Like, do you match that atmosphere and without question, Terry Moran's bunch did exactly that. It was a hell of a first quarter, back and forth. And then really the second quarter uh, is when IU really took control of the game. And, and I never feel like Iowa seriously threatened the rest of the way. Certainly, Caitlin Clark, it, it's wild to look at the stat line and see 24 points, 10 rebounds, 9 assists. But you'd also call it one of the worst games of her season. Yeah. It was a very quiet night for Caitlin Clark. That would not be a quiet night for most people, but for Caitlin Clark, that was pretty quiet. And, and, and I guess that'd be you know, specific shooting-wise. You know, yes. when she's 8 of 26. Mm-hmm. She's 3 of 16 from the 3. Uh, lowest point total since Thanksgiving for her. And, you know, for those that definitely follow the IU women's program a little bit more, this was a big win for the resume. Um, for those unfamiliar with the tournament for the women, they will often group the first two games on home floors of the best-seeded teams. Well, Indiana last night, you know, they're, they're ranked 14th. They're really flirting with, uh, are they going to be hosting? Are they not going to be hosting? And a win like this certainly puts them, I think, on the right side of that. So uh, quite the images from Assembly Hall last night. That was a fun so, one. 
Victor Oladipo in the building, Lynn Dunn and mm-hmm. Christy Sides in the building. Very politically correct answer from Caitlin Clark after the game on if she will be declaring for the draft or not. Yeah. Yeah, she was not. <laughs> I love Indiana. It's great. This and that. But I'm focused on the present. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was her. Um, just terrific from Mackenzie Holmes, uh, Sarah Scalia. Um, I thought Garzona and Sidney Parrish both were very important for Terry Moran's team. So quite the response for them from what we saw back in Iowa City a couple months ago. And you want to talk about a response. You know, if there's a trend we've seen from Matt Painter's team this season, Mark, it is after losses, just hammer Purdue responding in a big, big way. You know, I it, we talked a little bit yesterday. Where would the game be at pace-wise? You know, if you look at the first matchup between Purdue and Rutgers, it was in the 60s. Purdue had their second lowest point total of the season, scoring 68. They won the game, but Rutgers probably walked off the floor thinking, man, you know, we had our chances. We got it at the point total we wanted. We turned them over big time, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Purdue got it at the pace they wanted last night. They put up 52 in the first half against the best defense in the Big Ten, 96-68. So, again, three losses for Purdue this season. Their games after each of those three losses, they beat Iowa by 19, they beat Penn State by 17, and then last night they beat Rutgers by 28. Obviously, the goal is to win six in a row in March but we have not seen any lingering effects from each of these losses this season. No, I mean, it was, it, it was one of those college nights where it's like a lot of good matchups on paper. It's kind of blowout city in all three of those I mean, games. But it was over after about, what, 10 minutes? Yeah, I mean, you can kind of like, okay, I, I think I can kind of switch towards the IU women and Caitlin Clark and stuff for a little bit and switch between that and the Pacers, which I did. It was kind of kind of nice knowing that I didn't have to keep Full eyes on three games at once. It was kind of like, okay, well, this is a blowout. I can go to here. That's a great point. It was stress-free. Yeah. For the most, I mean, I guess probably IU-Iowa, you hung in there with the most. Just mm-hmm. curious, would Clark have a flurry in the fourth quarter and get back in the game there? But um, certainly up in West Lafayette, the Zach Eady stat line is just is just stupid good. Zach Eady shot the basketball 19 times last night, okay? 11 free throws, made all 11. Or excuse me. Yes, 11 free throws, made all 11. Mm-hmm. Eight shots from the field, seven of eight. Yeah. Pretty good night when you shoot it 19 times and they all go in but one. Not too shabby, I would say. Cam Heidi, big off the bench for Purdue. Again, Matt Painter talked about that. Wanting more bench production, exiting Ohio State. Uh, Heidi was outstanding. The Heidi game. The Heidi game. He yeah. was absolutely outstanding for them. Knocking down threes, uh, made all seven of his shots. So Purdue continues to have that two-game lead as they benefited from Penn State beating Illinois. Earlier this week, uh, Purdue will have what they got a Sunday game. Is it? I think it's at Michigan. Yes, I believe they are correct. CBS two o'clock coming up on Sunday night, and then lastly, yes, you got to talk a little Pacers action. Um, it, I, I thought that was one of their best halves of the year. Certainly, the third quarter was not good. Kristen Airy was uh, shooting me some info. This has kind of been Detroit's mo as of late. They get down big and then they somewhat make a run at it. I mean, I never really, if it would have got to single digits, maybe you sweat a little bit, but it never did. I mean, it was for the most part, you know, hovering in that low teen area throughout the second half. TJ McConnell's a treasure. I want Max Bowen to play like him one day. Um, He was outstanding. And I thought Halliburton looked healthy. Yeah. I mean, he's still, I I said it during the game. He's knocking down shots like it was still all-star Sunday. 
He was just throwing up well, threes the start and of the game. dropping them all over the place. I was like, wait, he's hit, what, eight of his last nine three? I don't know. Hell, it's actually a much higher number than that if you go back to Sunday night. And then both the dunks. I mean, we're not used to Halliburton being a dunker. And for him to attempt both of them and, you know, look pretty good doing it. I did notice something post-game press conference. I don't know if you saw that. He had the right arm wrist iced. Mm-hmm. Just kind of an unusual thing that I'm not used to seeing. He, like, didn't have the right arm at all, like, above the table for the majority of the press conference. And at one point, he raised it up, and I was like, damn, what the hell is that? So, I I, I don't know if we should monitor that, but minutes-wise... Maybe his wrist is just tired from, <laughs> from all the from shooting all, from the last All week. the shooting the last, like, week and a half. Yeah, that, that could certainly uh, be the case. But again, TJ McConnell, outstanding. You know, if I am going to nitpick... I thought as we got into the second quarter, halftime, I thought to myself, oh, we're going to get a good Jairus Walker run tonight. Like, this is going to be one of those nights where you see him for whatever, a dozen minutes, something like that, and you never got to him because Detroit kind of hung in there. I'm sure there was an element of Rick Carlisle that, and again, the score never ballooned to like 20, 25 in the second half to where I was like, all right, empty the bench. But you don't play uh, tonight. You don't play tomorrow first game back from the break maybe you do want to see those guys out there for a good amount of minutes so the Pacers get it done last night over the Pistons uh, and we did not get any fireworks from Benedict Mather and Jay no Ivey. I was kind of disappointed I kept Very watching I was I was looking I was like anything no all right they both behaved yeah I was kind of disappointed yeah I neither of them great great by any means Mather and struggled shooting it I actually thought he did nice job getting some others involved Ivy had a couple moments but nothing crazy on that end. So obviously a lot of hoop stock here on this Friday morning. Again, if you guys listened to the show yesterday, the back half, Andy Sweeney's voice hanging on by a thread. Is JMV back today? I have are no we, idea. Are we still out of the bullpen a lot? <laughs> I think we're tapping the arm. Because Jake's heading to Vegas, right? Is he it? Yeah, he was was he not in Vegas yet? I don't know. I think he's off to Vegas today. So I believe it'll be James Boyd and Jimmy from uh noon to three, of course. I thought John said he was gonna come back. I think he's got a remote today. From three to six, and then we'll get you set for a busy weekend hoops wise. As we look ahead to tomorrow, it is massive for Butler. Butler Seton Hall tomorrow night at 8:30. Currently, Joe Lenardi, ESPN bracketologist, has moved Butler to out of the tournaments. Um, and he actually doesn't even have them as like the first or second out, if I remember correctly. I thought I saw them um a little bit further down than that so um, it is huge for Butler because they play Seton Hall it's a road game Seton Hall's a team if you look at where they are right now um, from a uh, bracket standpoint he's got Seton Hall as team 65 so they Mm. would be in the tournament in Dayton Butler is team 72 for Lenardi so that's the fourth team out you know it's one of those things Mark I go back to Tuesday night I don't think Butler gets ripped for losing a road game to Villanova but it's one of those things where when you miss out and go back to Creighton, they missed out on Creighton last Saturday. That's now a week they've gone without winning a game. Well, just inevitably, you're going to have other bubble teams that win games during that stretch. Um, so that is something that obviously has hurt Butler here. So it's a huge one on Saturday night, 8.30 tip there from Seton Hall. You got to get that one if you're the Bulldogs, but it's not going to be easy. They, they do have kind of a, a murderer's row of opponents this last week. Yeah, I mean, they've had this stretch here really dating back to late January, um, which has been quad one after quad one after quad one. 
Um, again, we'll get a little bit of Colts chatter today. We're two and a half weeks away from the start of free agency. I know we focused a lot on the big four names for the Colts in free agency. I do think there's two guys that I don't want to lose sight of. Again, they aren't the headliners of this free agency class, but they've been important players dating back to the start of the Ballard era. I do think those are two guys just to keep an eye on, uh, and, and I'm curious how their free agencies will evolve for the Colts. Some might push back on re-signing one of them considering how much money they've already invested at a similar position. So we'll definitely sneak that in at some point today. Greg Rakestraw again going to join us at 8 o'clock. It's kind of random. It's something I want to throw Rake's way. Mark, do you ever remember when they used to do that? And I felt like it was kind of this time every year. Do you remember when they used to do the bracket buster? Yeah. You'd have like the mid-major teams play other mid-major teams on like a Saturday in Mm -hmm. mid-February. And the thought was you create a quality, somewhat quality opponent for the mid-major teams at a time of year where you might not have a lot of that on your schedule. And theoretically, that is going to boost your resume of the win and not hurt you too, too much with a loss. I almost feel that way about like Indiana State right now. Like how beneficial would it be for them to have a bracket buster game on their resume? Because again, they're hanging on by a thread as an automatic qualifier in some of this bracketology stuff. But if they all of a sudden, you know, lose in the conference championship game, if they were to go to... I don't know. Insert your random mid-major. I see that Grand Canyon is a very good mid-major this year. That'd be fun to go out there. You know, Grand Canyon's right in Phoenix. Yeah. I think that would be very attractive. There you go. Get some Scottsdale Old Town action oh, there. Catch a spring training game maybe too while on, you're there. On the old old recruiting. Is it, are the Cubs in Mesa? Is that right? Yes. Reds mm-hmm. are in Goodyear? Mm-hmm. Hey, I've been to the Reds Park. Have you ever been to the Cubs Park? I was actually at the very first game at Sloan Park. It was really? just kind of, yeah, we just happened to go. This is before kids and everything. And Ashley and I had traveled out there. She's like, why don't we go to the Cubs game? I was like, you don't have to ask me twice. So we went and I was like, actually, this is the very first game. So my wife, butt, wife of the year comment. My butt was in the seats for the very first time in one of those sec one of those sections over there. So And what year would that have been? Because they haven't been out there like for oh, four kids. Years, so right? I want to say it was the world might have been the World Series uh season. 2016. I was going to say about 10 years ago, a little little bit less than that yeah. then. So, yeah, I, that's a, Rake would be the perfect person to ask that of like, you know, why did that go away? You know, I, I felt like that was a good, again, a, just a nice thing for the mid-major. I remember going to a Butler Southern Illinois bracket buster game, and boy, the SIU faithful were out in full force in Hinkle. I don't think that went well for Butler, but I always kind of enjoyed that as a fun time of year, and I, I thought it made sense for ESPN. To do that. 2014 for Sloan Park, so I was a couple years off, but yeah. Terry chimes in here. Great seeing Terry on the way to the Indiana Convention Center for the cross, or uh, to Lucas Oil Saturday night for the slam dunk. She goes, Caitlin Clark has a lot of nights where she shoots bad. She's a volume score. Yeah, but last night was extra bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, the three is 16. Yeah. Eight of, what, eight was eight of 26? Something, yeah, it wasn't, it was, it's a very odd stat line for her. Yeah, eight for 26, three for 16 from three pointers, five of eight for free throws, like, you don't see that normally. You know, one thing I'm I'm reminded in watching her play, and Megan McEwen said this to us yesterday when she joined us, she is a great rebounder. I mean, she's 5'11", and had 10 rebounds last night, and she's like a pretty consistent rebounder there. Now, you know what the Iowa fans are saying today. What? She played one of her worst games of the season in the state of Indiana. Mm-hmm. Therefore, she's going to be nervous in front of Lynn Dunn, in front of Christy Sides. Therefore, she's going back to Iowa City. 
Well, they can think that all they want, but I would counter back. Then what else does she have to accomplish at Iowa if she comes back again? Not much. I mean, national championship, if she gets that. Should I mean, we get into a chirping war on social media today with the Hawkeye faithful? Oh, yeah. Why not? A fun night in Bloomington, fun night at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, and certainly Mackie basked in that. The trifecta, again, we end the week much better than we started from a college hoop standpoint. I don't know if you'll encounter a lot of fog on this Friday morning. I, I encountered a little bit on the community. Nothing crazy, but something to keep an eye on. Full moon out here on this Friday morning. Speaking of out, Andy Sweeney is out today, resting that voice. It will be Mark Dykton. It will be myself, Kevin Bowen here in studio to close out the week. This and maybe, is the, maybe a producer at some point. So uh, we'll see. Emphasis on maybe. Yeah, uh, this is the Wake Up Call here on 93.5107.5 The Fan. One of those nights where TJ McConnell was quite the treasure for the Indiana Pacers. 18 minutes off the bench, 16 points, six boards, five assists, the patented steal in the backcourt. It is amazing. It, I thought it was funny he did it to a rookie last night in Marcus Sasser. Uh, he continually gets that done. How about two threes for TJ McConnell back from the break. No hangover in the first half for the Pacers. Here was Rick Carlisle afterwards on the veteran point guard. That's why you have a team, you know, Um, not everybody's going to play perfect. And, you know, he's a guy that is a constant source of energy. And um, he did great things throughout the entire game. So, you know, hats off to him. And look, nobody was perfect in the game. That's a hard team to play. I mean, they've, they've developed a style in an approach where they, they can stay in virtually every game and give themselves a chance to win. And so, you know, our first half, you know, put them down further. And they've been through so much upheaval and, 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 and difficulty that, you know, it's galvanized them, their competitiveness. And so they came out and really competed hard in the, in the third and fourth quarter, and they made it hard. And that's, that's what this is. This is hard. Hard things are hard. Thank you, hard Rick things Carlisle, are hard. I for agree. that. Uh, he'll join us Tuesday coming up at 8. It'll be a back-to-back Sunday and Monday. Luca in the building, his only time in the building this season, I guess. That'll outside, be a fun one. Outside of the All-Star game. I remember Luca's first game inside of Gamebridge Fieldhouse. He got tossed in the third quarter for punting the ball into the stands. Oh. Well, it would be more effort than he showed he at the All-Star game. I think he got teed up last game. night, and he also went off for 40. That's is a very on-brand for yeah. Luka Doncic. Again, him and Kyrie Irving coming up. Sunday, Monday, it'll be the Raptors. And again, Wednesday will be the Pelicans as the Pacers have this four-game homestand out of the gate. College Hoops, let's go over to the women's side as the Indiana Hoosiers topped Caitlin Clark and the Iowa Hawkeyes 86-69. It was a very one-sided game. 11 points they held Iowa to in the second quarter. That was pretty nice. Caitlin Clark, a pretty pedestrian, some would say off night, 24 points, 10 rebounds, 9 assists, but only 8 for 26 from the field goal range. Terry Morin talked about how her team guarded against Caitlin Clark. You know, I thought our guys um, from the jump, um, from the jump, were uh, really, really got after it defensively. I I think we made everything very difficult for uh, Caitlin Clark tonight, and that's hard to do. Um, She's a phenomenal player. Um, But but I think maybe the most important thing we felt like we did at halftime was we kept Martin, we kept Molly Davis, you know, um, Stalky, Marshall, we we kept them relatively quiet, and uh, that was the key. I, I, you know, I don't um, going into it that was that did not happen when we went to their place, and I thought tonight, um, you know, at halftime we were pleased with the way we had guarded those other um, pieces that they have on the floor. 
Yeah, big second, big fourth quarters for Terry Moran's team. We talked about it to open up the show. Obviously, they match the atmosphere. It's a game to remember from that point inside of Assembly Hall. If you want to live even more in the present, it's important for the resume for the IU women in that they now should be in a position to at least host those first two games. Obviously, last year, it did not work out in that second round and losing to the Hurricanes of Miami there. Uh, but still, uh, that's obviously a goal for them. And it looks like with this win that they should be in a position to do that here upcoming in a few weeks. All right, Purdue, zero issue whatsoever with the Scarlet Knights from Rutgers. I am still beyond impressed by Rutgers averages 65 points per game, and Purdue eclipsed that by 33. Hell, Purdue had 52 at halftime against that defense. It has not always been the case for Purdue like that against Rutgers. He was Matt Painter afterwards on the scoring outburst. You know, obviously this is one of the best defensive teams in the country, and uh, uh, to put 96 points up against them is, is something that we haven't done. We, we might have done it a long time ago against them, but since he's gotten that program established, we haven't been able to, to really open up and score against them, and they've made it really difficult on us. So this was a big night for us. This is a big win for us. Next up for Purdue, they are at Michigan on Sunday. That's a 2 o'clock tip. Elsewhere in College Hoops Saturday, Indiana's at Penn State. That's a noon tip. And a big one for the Butler Bulldogs as they visit Seton Hall. That's 8.30 Saturday night. So Purdue at Michigan, that means the kid that spends the road games in the library, he's now eligible to play, yeah. right? They let him go. Let, let, they uncuff him from his bunk. Okay. So yeah. he's out of the sixth floor stacks mm-hmm. in Ann Arbor, and he's able to play in the game for but two right hours. right back to it on their right next road there. game. Yeah. We'll bring you ramen. We'll bring you your easy Mac. You do not move from here. Okay. Little Doug McDaniel. Uh, boy, Zach Eady last night, again, shot the ball 19 times. He made it 18. Seven of eight from the field. All 11 foul shots. That, I think, is a part of why the NBA scouts eh, salivates too strong of a word, but why they feel confident about him at the next level you watch the shooting stroke it looks great the foul line is pretty impressive for a dude at seven foot four cam heidi outstanding off the bench for purdue and again their response from their three losses this season they beat Rutgers by 28 they beat penn state by 17 they beat iowa by 19 zero hangovers and the first halves in each of those three games absolutely dominant from the makers uh, last one for me, you mentioned IU and Butler tomorrow. Again, for Butler, Mark, they are out of the tournament in Joe Lenardi's eyes right now, so cannot stress enough how important tomorrow night against Seton Hall is. That is an 8.30 tip. Seton Hall beat Butler earlier this season inside of Hinkle Fieldhouse, so just a massive one. When you look at where Seton Hall is, they are just uh, hovering right around the bubble, right there with Butler, really, maybe on the right side of it right now. Butler on the Wrong side of it, so a huge one for the Butler Bulldogs tomorrow night. Just a couple quick NFL notes. The the Chiefs, the rich get richer. Uh, they signed punter Matt Ariza, also known as the punt god, uh, after his dropped lawsuit situation that uh, kicked him out of the Bills last year. So they have the punt god now on their team to help Patrick Mahomes as if he needed do any they more assistance. Punt? I know. Even if they do, it'll be like an 80-yard bomb, so the, the opponent will be backed up on like their own one-yard line. And also the Seahawks reworking the contract of Geno Smith. Uh, the Seahawks have the 16th overall pick in the draft. They're reworking his contract. That assumes that he's sticking around and they might not be in the uh, the quarterback hunt. Well, you know, I thought a lot of people believed last year, Mark, that if the Colts didn't take Anthony Richardson at four, Seattle would have done that at five. They took that Witherspoon kid, the corner out of mm-hmm. Illinois, and he had a very nice rookie season there. So 
you know, you kind of get into this mold. Like Minnesota, remember we had Ryan Grigson on the show last year at the Combine. I mean, they were a thought, are they going to take a quarterback? Like Kirk Cousins isn't doing this forever, and now he's a free agent, obviously coming off the torn Achilles there. So you've got some of those teams in the Cousins of the world, in the Geno Smiths of the world. Do we see them enter the quarterback fray at all upcoming here? With the draft. Speaking of that, a couple of under the radar Colts free agents, I think, to keep an eye on. And also, uh, the NBA, I guess, released some info that might not be too good for the Pacers hosting another all star game. I seeked out a little clarification on that, and I will share that with you on the other side. He's Mark Dykton filling in for Andy Sweeney and doing his normal producing work. I am Kevin Bowen. We're closing out the week here. It's a full moon Friday, not in studio, in the sky. Here on 93.5107.5. The teams that we've lost to are really, really, really freaking good. We went to Stanford. We went to Ohio State. We went to Iowa. Um, and if you just think about the Big Ten, this league is, is really good. And uh, we've said it, and I know I've said it. It's hard to win on the road. It, it's hard. And I don't know if it's a weight. I just, going back to Michael's question, I think we had to have this one tonight to help us with our resume, for sure. That was Terry Moore in 86-69. The IU women, certainly quite the road environment Iowa encountered last night in Bloomington. You know, oftentimes matching the environment for the home team can be difficult sustaining that. You know, the first quarter was so electric last night. Would both teams be able to sustain that for three more quarters? Iowa was not. IU was. And as Terry Moore said right there, big win in quite the scene last night for Caitlin Clark and company. We'll get back into some of the reaction. Great night in hoops, whether you're in Bloomington, Cambridge Fieldhouse, or Mackey Arena. I'm Kevin Bowen here around out the week. Mark Dykton in for a resting slash sick, to be fair. Andy Sweeney, that voice was fading fast Honey and tea, Andy. Honey and tea. Honey and tea. I just heard a WIBC report walking out in the um, in the hallway during the break. Mark, uh, cops found 89 grams of cocaine in an onion. Oh, well, that's one one place to store. I guess that's a smart place to store. Well, I guess not, I'm not totally smart because it was caught, but you know, no one wants to really touch onions. You're trying to bring it into the airport, or like how? Yeah, what are you I, doing there? I, I can't say I hung around for details on that. So. Uh, I'm going to the Pacers game. I'm going to snack on an onion here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got my knife to cut up the onion here a little bit later at the old Pacer game. So cocaine uh, onion, okay. Next week we will hear from Chris Bowden and Shane Steichen down at the combine. That'll be Wednesday afternoon. Those will be in their group settings, the annual group settings. At the Combine, for us, tentatively pencil in Chris Ballard for Thursday morning. He'll uh, he'll hop on with us. Uh, we'll be live down there at the Combine. Mark, we're two and a half weeks away from the start of free agency. Um, you know, a huge part of Combine week is teams meeting with agents of their own free agents, certainly agents of other free agents as well. But, you know, you, you, you start to get a little bit of clarity on some of these guys and their situations. For the Colts, We've talked about the big four. Michael Pittman Jr., Grover Stewart, Kenny Moore, Julian Blackman. I'd say from a notoriety standpoint, the next two we've talked about the most would be Gardner Minshew and Zach Moss. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's, I mean, that's six in-house free agents right there. There's two more that I'll mention here, and I know it won't get a lot of airtime until something happens with them, whether the Colts re-sign them or whether the Colts move on from these guys. But there's two more free agents the Colts have this year that I would kind of put in a green category. And by green, I mean you should bring back. I like to kind of stoplight out the uh, the uh, tiers of free agents for the Colts. And that would be Tyquan Lewis 
and that would be Rigoberto Sanchez. Mark, the Taekwon Lewis story last year was much more than a feel-good story. Uh, the fact that he finally stayed healthy, played all 17 games, that's the feel-good nature. But he also was a very important, versatile, productive, and trustworthy piece and really was playing over Quiddy Pay in some critical situations late last season. So what you do with him, I think, is a storyline. Again, it's not major, but I just want to make sure that we throw that in there. And then Rigoberto Sanchez, their punter is a free agent. You brought up punter news with the Chiefs last uh-huh. segment. Mark, if you re-sign Rigoberto Sanchez, that's a third contract you've given him. And now there are reasons to re-sign him. The guy didn't have a single touchback all last season. He had a career high in net punting average. Uh, he bounced back from the torn Achilles very well. But I bring it up to say this. Do you have room to be paying a kicker? Top five kicker money? And I would assume Sanchez would be very close to that for punter money. Maybe more like top ten. But that's a lot to invest in the old kickers. And of the punters that are available on the free agency market, not that you necessarily go down that market, he's the third oldest, which is kind of crazy to think about. Right around 30, right? Yeah. The other one is Cameron Johnston, who was uh, from the Texans. And then the other one was Thomas Morstead from the Jets, who's about as old as I am. So, again, we're trying to maintain a listening audience on this Friday. We won't talk about punters for much more than this brief period. But it's just something to note. You know, Mm -hmm. Lewis... 2018 Sanchez I think 2017 and these guys have been Colts for a long time here and you know Sanchez was an undrafted and really it's pretty remarkable how effective Sanchez has been considering he filled some pretty big shoes I mean Pat McAfee was obviously a big personality he's also a damn good punter yeah and for Sanchez to have done that as well as he has it's been a great run for him will that continue and that's kind of a little bit with Minshew and Moss it's like You've got guys that you'd label kind of not the most premium positions, but they would fall into the premium money category for those jobs. Backup quarterback for Gardner, second running back for Moss, punter for Rigo. You know, do you feel like you can pay top market dollar at those spots, or do you feel like that's a place to penny pitch a little? Yeah, I think you can easily pivot a little bit and go go elsewhere at some of those positions. I I I don't know about Rigoberto Sanchez. How I mean, I'm sure he loves Indy and everything like that. How willing would he be to take a hometown discount, which sounds kind of crazy for a punter, but that might be what you're looking at. I mean, you have the fifth most salary cap, but you also have needs on many other positions that you need to figure out. You also need to figure out, are you keeping Kenny Moore? That would be a big contract. Michael Pittman Jr., that's a big contract. Yeah, do you keep all four of the big four? Right. That, 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 to me, is a question that I have. I know you have a question in regards to Chris Ballard and maybe – the free agency calendar, yeah, per se. So I mean, we're obviously fast approaching the uh, the combine, and the Colts have the what, I believe the fifth most salary cap space. They have a lot of needs. They've got a lot of in-house free agents, like we just discussed, that could be due for contract extensions to stay with the team. My question is: Is this finally the year that Chris Ballard spends on day one of free agency? Free agency opens, and Chris Ballard and the Colts have normally been patient wait and see they go to day two day three usually are we going to actually get a day one signing from chris ballard this free agency period i'm very curious to see that they have a lot of salary cap space they have a lot of needs and there's a lot of very good talent out there at positions that they could easily upgrade at and i was curious your thoughts on that because i think that we could see that finally yeah you know the thing with ballard and free agency is i I, i've oftentimes said this um i think a few more like high-end quality would be the route that I would pursue. Um, 
to your point, Mark, the early part of free agency is where some of that action does occur. If you look at the Ballard tenure, the seven years of it, there are a lot of hits in free agency. I mean, Samson Ebicom from last year is a great example of that. Absolute hit in free agency. I just think at times it's almost too selective. And again, it's the Danico Autry coming to the Colts and saying, this is what Tennessee's offering. Can you sweeten the deal of hair? And then Ballard saying, nope, we've assigned market value on you. We're not going to get into a back and forth here. It's like, well, that's not how free agency works. I mean, if you choose to have that be your philosophical belief with free agency, then guys like Danico Danico Autry are going to walk to a divisional team and, and wreck you for future years. And that's what Autry's done. So that's where... I've had a little bit of pushback. It's, no, no, at times when it gets to barter time, you got to play the game. Even if you don't want to, that's the store you have to shop in. So um, that is a question that I think you have. And, and again, Mark, for the next two and a half weeks, this is the most in-house watching. Oh boy, that sounds really creepy. <laughs> this is the most uh, internal free agent watching that I'm going to be doing for the Colts. I mean, I've never, never had a free agent class look like this in terms of, man, they've got to bring back Pittman, right? Uh, what's the move if you don't bring back Grover? What's the move if you don't bring back Kenny Moore? Uh, Julian Blackman falls into that boat. And again, we're not even getting into Gardner Minshew and Zach Moss, who were two, without those two, you don't sniff being in week 18, win and get in sort of situation from last season. So Usually Colts in-house, in-house free agents, you're like, okay, there's one guy I could see them bringing yeah. back. But even that's not a necessity. This season is kind of crazy because you look at it and you're like, they need to bring back quite a few of these guys, I think. Yeah, Anthony uh, chimes in here on Twitter. He asks about Evan Hall. For those unfamiliar with that name, fifth-round rookie running back last year out of Northwestern. Tours meniscus in the season opener. Never played the rest of the season. Anthony asks if they trust him coming back from the injury to let Moss go. Uh, I, I think they're different players. I think Hall is a little bit more of a receiver first at running back, whereas Moss is your traditional first and second down bruiser. Yeah, I, did you see a little bit out of Trey Sermon to where you feel good about that? Uh, but Hall is definitely a name to make sure that uh, we keep in mind. So again, next Wednesday, Ballard and Steichen down at the Combine. We'll chat with Chris one-on-one here coming up uh, Thursday on the show. I wanted to make sure we got to this. This was running rampant around Twitter yesterday, Mark. NBA All-Star Criteria. And Scotty Johnson, if you're listening, could you look this up? And Mark, if you know it, feel free to chime in. I believe there's two NBA cities that have never hosted an all-star game. I want to say Portland is one of them. God, that just screams a Scotty question, doesn't it? Might be spoiling the uh, pop quiz, maybe. Really? I don't know. I was just guessing. I was going to say, I haven't even opened it up yet. Um, But Oklahoma City, their beat writer. Well, I mean, I guess, I, I don't know, is Oklahoma City the other? Uh, they were asking the question of like, okay, what would it take or what does it take to host an all-star game? And according to the OKC beat writer, the NBA has, since the all-star game here in Indy ended, has come out with a three-pronged criteria to hosting the all-star game. Did you say, by the way, that it's two? Because uh, the article I'm reading is, says four cities have not hosted. Really? Who, who are the others? It's Sacramento, Portland, Memphis, and Oklahoma City. Memphis is not hosted? That, huh. That's what it says, and that article was written just like a week ago. Okay. Well, yeah, maybe it is more than more than I thought. Um, so, Mark, there's three-pronged criteria here, all right? 
7,250 hotel rooms and a minimum of three five-star hotels. That's number one on the list. Mm -hmm. Number two, you need a convention center that has 650,000 square feet of exhibition space. That's number two. And the third one, 75 nonstop domestic flights and 20 international flights. What? That's where we get in trouble, I think, Boy, as a city. How to eliminate the middle of the United States. Uh-huh. 101 right here. Yeah. Good luck, Memphis. Good luck, Oklahoma City. Good luck, Indianapolis. So I'm reading this and I'm like, first off, I have no idea how big the convention center is. I've gotten lost in it so many times. It feels like it's 650,000 square feet, but I have no idea. So I thought, okay, let's A, start to look this up, and B, let's start to contact people that are in positions that really, really matter about this stuff around the city. So uh, it seems like, based off a little bit of research, that we check the hotel criteria. That, you know, with the building of all these new hotels and, you know, uh, the NBA team stay right here at the Conrad, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, we can, we can check that box. Our convention center, Mark, based off a of Google search, mm-hmm. 419,000 square feet. Okay, that's different than what Bing tells me. That says, it says 566,600 square feet. So we're still under. So we are heavily under 650,000. Uh-huh. Uh, and then a quick Google search. We are very much under the old flight oh, criteria here. 40 domestic nonstops, five international nonstops. Yeah, I mean, internationally, where are you going? Like Cancun? Like <laughs> Windsor? Direct to Toronto? I, I, <laughs> do we, do we, are we still doing the Paris thing? Remember that was the yeah, big that was, that was a fun. couple years ago? Uh-huh. So I texted someone that would know this, and I'm like, wait a minute. Does this just eliminate us like from future um, All-Star games? And the response I got was this, all right? And I quote, think of this as a starting point for conversations between the league and cities who want to host. As I understand it, this isn't a check the box by the league, as in you have to check all of them. They want to be sure cities have the infrastructure to handle what they see as an event that will keep growing. For us, that's Indy, no one should be worried. The NBA knows how we do these events and understands we do them better than anyone. I was going to say, because these aren't new, supposedly check boxes. These were in place when the Pacers and Indiana were given the All-Star game, correct? Well, I, I thought they were new because, remember, the, the NBA granted the All-Star game to Indy, like, hell, almost a decade ago. Mm-hmm. Remember, it was pushed back yeah. due to COVID. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be here in 2021. So I I see that, and I hate it, and I'm like, this totally eliminates anything from a mid-market standpoint. And then I also think, wait, where are the next two free agency sp- or um, All-Star game spots? San Francisco and Inglewood. Yeah. So clearly we are getting into a, you know, and, and that's kind of the trend with the Super Bowls. If you look at the Super Bowls, it's a it's been heavy like West Coast Pacific time zone here recently, and that's where we're gonna be from an all-star game standpoint the next couple of years. So I'm reassured and reaching out to again someone here locally that would know a whole lot more about this situation. But if we start to fall into this trap where these become you have to meet this before the conversation can start. And it sounds like that's not necessarily happening here. But if that does become the case, hell, Mark, uh, your girls and Rosie and Max, they're not going to be seeing anything No, in this city from an NBA All-Star game standpoint. Or hell, even a Super Bowl. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I, we do put on events like no one's business. Like the Combine has been an annual stop for 
reasons because there's no way that any other city can do it the way that Indianapolis does. Now, I get that the Combine is small potatoes compared to the NBA All-Star Weekend and Super Bowls and whatnot there, but the NFL can, you know, eat its cake and go elsewhere and make all this money and stuff, and they keep saying, no, Indianapolis is the place for us. So I I would like to see more events like that come back. I mean, we do Final Fours, National Championships, all that stuff. We can handle it. I mean, but I'd be curious to see how strict they are with with the whole, uh, you know, square footage of your convention center and your airport flights and everything like that. We'll see. Now, earlier this week, we had Chris Gall on from Visit Indy, um, the executive VP. And Mark, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. He said he felt like more likely a Super Bowl would return here next compared to an NBA All-Star. Correct. And he seemed rather confident might be too big of a word, but I don't know. He, He expressed some... Some optimism. It was not an answer that he th- needed to think too hardly. No, he very no. quickly yeah. mentioned that. I also threw to him, okay, what would be the one event? And by the way, that interview was up on our podcast. That was Wednesday. Yes. Uh, to close mm-hmm. out the show, I threw to him, what would be the one sporting event you would like to see uh, come to the city of Indianapolis? You could just snap your fingers and voila, it is here. And he mentioned the return of an F1 race that, that would intrigue quite a few people the global appeal to mm-hmm. that you know e- even with a super bowl a little bit i mean there's global elements without question to an nba all-star game in a super bowl but nothing compares to what an f1 race are we in three markets for f1 right here in the states are we miami austin and vegas that sounds right if we if, if indy gets an f1 race we have to do an in-studio interview with martin brundle oh was he our paulo boncaro yeah Patrick whatever yeah the that grid walk is outstanding. Oh yeah, he. I feel like he knows half the celebrities and doesn't know the other half. And if he doesn't know you, he simply just states to them, "Who are you? Tell me who you are. What do you do?" Exactly. Yeah, that seemed. Gosh, I, I forgot how outstanding all of your accents are. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Ryan chimes in here. Can you factor in Lucas Oil into the square footage requirement? Ah, uh, that's a good question. I. I would like to think so. Hell, the two buildings are attached, but obviously with some of these events, you're using Lucas Oil specifically for event space, like, you know, the dunk contest on Saturday night, whereas convention center-wise, you want it for, you know, more the activation fan fest sort of events. So just some interesting stuff there from the NBA. All right, great night in hoops in the state, great weekend in the state. I know one man that is very happy about a special call coming his way. Tomorrow, that would be the one and only Greg Rakestraw. Rake joins us next. All right, great night in hoops. West Lafayette, Indianapolis, Bloomington, all three boxes checked there. Certainly not how we started the week from how poor the college basketball weekend was last week. And as we talk hoops and transition here, I'm going to guess this man is pretty excited about tomorrow morning. We've got the girls' basketball State finals, again, the rundown on that. No undefeated teams left. It'll be Lanesville and Marquette at uh, Marquette Catholic and the Class 1A game. Brownstown Central and Lures in 2A. Gibson Southern, they've had a nice run athletically here, against Norwell in 3A. And then LC and LC, Lawrence Central, uh, unbelievable tournament run for them compared to what they have had from a postseason success standpoint. And Lake Central to round things out. And for more on that... The great, the one and only Greg Rakestraw joins us. Rake, Lanesville, Class 1A, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you have done a state finals game for them before, correct? I have. Amazingly, this will be the fifth time they have played in a state finals, and it is the fourth time 
that I have been on the broadcast call for it. How about that? Now tell me we've got, maybe not offspring per se, but tell me we've got some family tree connections somewhere on the roster. Correct. So um, my cousin's daughter is one of the five starters that is playing in the game. Uh, And my cousin Jason, I think when it was the family and friends turn to buy tickets earlier this week, I think he bought 45 of them uh, for the extended family, uh, including my mom. So uh, Aunt Rita's coming up this morning. Uh, Mom and Rita are coming over to the house. We're going down to the practice today. And then there is a reception that I get to uh, MC as well today as all eight practice or all eight teams have their, their hour of practice time at Gamebridge Fieldhouse today. So I've got a full day of activity at Gamebridge. But, um, you know, the population of Lanesville will quadruple and then all move north at some point in time today and tomorrow to be here for the 1A state championship game. I absolutely love that. Good for you, Rake. That is outstanding here. Again, girls basketball state finals this weekend. Other big storyline. I know we've talked a little bit about LC. I think you had LC and LN early in the tournament. Um, Correct. Again, they hadn't won a tournament game in like two decades. Is that correct until this year? That is correct. Their last sectional win was 2001, uh, and so they have lost 22 consecutive postseason games. It is a program that has historically struggled. They have won before this year one sectional championship in school history, and that was back in 87. Now, uh, again, they've seen this run coming. Uh, it, is, it is really uh, this is a six- or seven-player rotation. From an offensive standpoint, it's, it's four players – it's the Lampley sisters. It's Anaya McKenzie. Uh, it's Layla Abdul-Rakib. They're all sophomores and juniors. Last year, Warren kind of knocked them off early in, in the, on the first night of the tournament. Uh, but they have been a clear number one or at least top three or four team all season long. They have played a really good schedule. And one thing that caught my attention is that they played a lot of doubleheader showcase games, which prepares you exceedingly well for last Saturday, when you've got to play twice and win twice to advance in the tournament. Th- again, they're a very deserving team to get to the state finals. Unfortunately, a bit of an injury, I think, kind of helped them along the way, and that is one of Senator Grove's leading players turned an ankle in the second half, and I kind of put that game, kind of turned it on its side. LC ended up winning that one by a score of 53-40. to 40. Lauren Central ends up being a, a, a heavy favorite. Um, Lake Central, to their credit, uh, plays a good schedule as well. Got downstate. Um, they've got a lot of interchangeable pieces. No kind of one dominant player on that Lake Central team. But the LC of Marion County is a favorite going into that one. The one and only Greg Rakestraw joining us on the Payless Liggers Hotline. Greg, I want to stick with the ladies but switch to the college side. Did you get a chance to see any of Caitlin Clark in Iowa against Indiana last night and Terry Morin's crew getting the win? If so, what were your thoughts? And do you think Caitlin Clark's going to go pro at the end of the season? I did not have a chance to see the game because I still get to pony up for Peacock. Um, you, well, you're a WWE guy. Uh, right, and they, they put it on Raw, at least, for put on USA, at least for now. Okay. Um, and, you know, I'm middle-aged, so I watch more of the clips on Facebook from 1992 than I do currently. <laughs> um, so... Didn't watch the game, and I had a game myself last night, but obviously was kind of following along on Twitter. Very happy for IU. This is, this is how good Terry Morin's program has become. What Indiana's kind of ranked 14th, 15th, correct, at this point? Yeah, 14th. Yep. Uh-huh. In, in that neighborhood. And it almost seems like we haven't talked about them as much this year. 
or they've been flying under the radar. That's how good they've become over the course of the last two or three seasons. Um, I, I had friends of mine that were posting pictures of standing in line for three hours to get in, which is awesome. The line apparently formed at noon yesterday, 17,000 strong. That's tremendous. So great win for IU. Great win for women's college basketball in this state. Great atmosphere at Assembly Hall and good on Hoosier fans for going and supporting a good team. Yeah, I think now let's 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 get to the Caitlin Clark issue. Uh, I wouldn't say it's an issue. Uh, If I'm the Indiana Fever, uh, I'm seeing if I can learn something from Larry Bird. I'm going to the WNBA and say, hey, can we draft her this year? And if she changed her mind, she'll get her rights a year from now. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure they've checked that. And my guess of the answer is no. Um, But if you're the Pacer Sports Entertainment Brass, I guarantee you, you have been in constant contact with her representatives and you have frankly been trying to ensure that all the marketing and sponsorship deals that she has in the state of Iowa and nationally, the national ones you think would translate to the WNBA, but you're making sure that all of those sponsorship deals carry over to, again, make the compensation package you can offer the first pick in the upcoming WNBA draft to make it match what she would get for going back to Iowa for a fifth year. Because to me, I think that's what it comes down to. Um, I'm not sure if, if you can pry her away from one more year of, of, of this. Maybe she's ready for a change, don't know. But if you're the Pacers slash Fever, you are doing everything you can to say, we want you here, you'll be a star here, you'll be well compensated here. And so I, I guarantee you people have been doing that behind the scenes ever since the Fever won that draft lottery. Oh, yeah. Lynn Dunn was in the audience last night. So, yeah, you have to imagine that they've had some sort of contact with her checking out with that. I, I think one of the reasons why the IU women have been under the radar a little bit this year, unfortunately, is because what the men's basketball team with Indiana is doing this year. Uh, how do you see that playing out? Do you think Mike Woodson's future is in any any doubt at this point uh, with how they've been playing? What would it take for them to make a change? I, I think fans, for his future to be in doubt – um, for next year, I think fans and donors have to start speaking with their wallets. And frankly, there's not that many chances for fans to speak with their wallets, knowing that the regular season you know, comes to its conclusion two weeks after this one. So you, I couldn't tell you how many home games IU has left to be in the one, two, or three you know, category you would, you would think at this juncture. Um, you know, People have pointed out the economics of it, that the buyout changes at the end of next year. People have pointed out, again, this is an alum. This is a highly thought of alum. This is a guy that has plenty of important connections in the right places as well. And so everything tells you he's going to get at least one more year. Um, but the natives are restless, clearly. And I, I, I think the thing that could fast forward the process would be if the natives get apathetic and the natives stop driving to Bloomington and money stops being donated, money stops being spent. Um, again, we're in the unabashed capitalism era of major college sports. It's all about the dollars and cents. And that's where I think pressure would come for next year is if donors say, hey, you're not getting my money. Or if fans stop going to games and saying, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not making the drive to Bloomington for this, for what I'm seeing from this basketball team. Yeah, like Louisville apathy. I mean, for anyone that's watched yeah. a Louisville home game this year, Rake, it is pathetic, honestly, seeing the attendance. Uh, for their home games, and obviously, and, and again, I'm glad you bring that up. And let, let's let's acknowledge that's the only game in town. Right. You know, here 
we can shift our attention to the Pacers or to the Colts um, or to Purdue. In Louisville, it's UofL and UK. That's it. So if you have completely lost a fan base the way they have in Louisville, that's even more stunning because they're literally the only game in town this time of year. He is the great Greg Rakestraw. He's with us here, the mayor of Lanesville. He's going to be uh, certainly the mayor, uh, pseudo mayor of Indianapolis, showing people around town here today, getting ready for the girls' basketball state finals tomorrow. Rick, I wanted to shift a little bit, and I guess uh, we talked a little college basketball, but uh, it's kind of random, but it popped in my head yesterday. I used to love Bracket Buster Weekend. Remember when ESPN did that, Rick? You would get the mid major teams playing road games against other mid-major teams. I remember sit, I, I remember exactly where I sat in Hinkle for a Butler-Southern Illinois game. It was a raucous atmosphere. SIU brought a ton of fans, frankly. But I think Butler kind of got run off the floor, if I remember correctly. Uh, but just an awesome atmosphere. And I bring that up to say this. Boy, wouldn't Indiana State benefit from such a game right now? And obviously they'd have to win the game. But you're in kind of this... You know, they beat Valpo on wins. I mean, that doesn't do anything for their resume. And I just feel like, I guess I'm asking, why did it go away? Because I thought that that was beneficial to the mid-major teams. Even if Indiana State were to lose a road game at whoever right now, if it's a top 50, top 60 team, it's not the end of the world. And if they win it, then they boost that resume. It just seemed like something that made sense for mid-major teams. And it got you on a little bit of a national map during the middle of February. That's a good question, and, and I would direct that question to the per- one of the people that created that event is part of the Radio 1 Communications family. Tell me more. Bob Lovell. Really? The coach? So this was, when, this was in Bob's time. We're of in Bob's in studio right now. This, 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 this is in Bob's time of, of working in the Horizon League office. This was part of the, he was part of the group that was kind of behind this, and I think it started with 16 teams, and then it became like, well, you got to find an opponent for everybody in a different league. At one point in time, I think there were like 144 different teams involved in the bracket buster. Um, and it may have been ESPN said, hey, the, the ratings weren't good enough because it wasn't the major names. I agree with you. I think it's phenomenal. I'm curious if something like this might come back at some point in time because, again, it gives those teams a stage in which to compete on. And it gives you another, now the terminology would be another chance for a quad one win, you know, for, for those teams that are, that are in the upper half of the bracket. So, yes, I miss it too, but I'm not sure it's coming back anytime soon. He is Greg Rakeshaw. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Again, another shift of the gears as we often do with Rake. Uh, Mark and I were talking about this last segment, and we brought it up to Chris Gall from Visit Indy earlier in the week. Obviously, with the All-Star game exiting town, NFL Combine starting to descend upon Indy. Rake, we asked Chris Gall, what is the one event, if he could snap his fingers sports-wise, would be here in Indy? He mentioned the return of an F1 race. If sure. I threw that same question to you, anything's on the table, snap of the fingers, what would you say? Um, F1 would be up there. A WrestleMania would yes. be up there. We have yes, to have one of those, kind of like the All-Star game. It's been 32 years since the last one. Was at the then Hoosier Dome in, in 1992. Um, the, I mean, the other thing that it's not going to happen, but, man, every time I read a story about it, I go, do they play here temporarily? You know, with the Oakland A's looking for a home for like three years, you're kind of like, could we sneak in some Major League Baseball at Victory Field? 
and I, and I and I and I don't think that a major league team is ever going to come here just because of the proximity to so many other teams. And the Reds pull so many fans from Indianapolis, and the Cubs pull fans from Indianapolis. And to a lesser degree, the you know the White Sox, Cardinals, Tigers, Indians, etc. But that always hits me when I go. Man, they're looking for a place to put the A's, and I realize I want to keep them on the West Coast because of travel and, and things like that. But I've always kind of gone, what if the A's might play a few series here at Victory Field? And how cool would that be to go see, like, you know, A's and Angels, A's and A's and Yan- whatever, whomever they would be playing, to go, yeah, there's a three-game major league set downtown. How cool would that be? So, from a one-off event standpoint, and again, Chris picked F1 because the economic impact was massive uh, for, for Formula One in this town 15 years ago. Imagine what it would be now. They have a much more, you know, kind of firm plant in the United States with three races and Netflix and fandom and, and whatever the case may be. So F1's a great pick. WrestleMania is always a sentimental pick for me. Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of curious if maybe, just maybe, for a weekend set or a weekend or something like that, if we might not see a major league baseball game or two in this town at some point in time in the next three years. I'm all, f- all of those things, Rake, please. WrestleMania, MLB. Yes, please. Kevin would be happy <laughs> that his A's would be in town. That'd be fantastic oh, for him. Of course. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. I could get in. I, I'd be the seventh inning setup guy. S- somebody suggested in the chat, they would like to see an NHL winter classic at the Indianapolis motor speedway. And while I think that would be cool, I just think the sight lines that make it impossible that that would ever happen. Would you like to see that right, at some point? Right. It's, it's because of where you'd have to fit the rink. It wouldn't be like this huge amount of seats that you're used to in a stadium. So what what I would like to see at some point in time is the Indy Fuel play a game at Victory Field. That'd that be cool. That would be cool. And, and, and I think Toledo has done that uh, with Fifth Third Park, where, where the Mudhens play and the Walleye is the hockey team. I think they've done an outdoor game. Uh, I would love to see a, a Comets fuel game at Victory Field at some point in time. Again, he is Greg Rakestraw. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, Rake, if I'm seeing this correctly here and going back to the girls' basketball state finals, LC is the only team within an hour of Indianapolis? Uh, sounds about right. Norwell would be right at about that mark. Um, that can't have Brown, happened. Brown, Brownstown, Brownstown's an hour from Indianapolis. I mean, it's close. Okay, right basically you have no But Indy. to your overall greater point, no, it's not. There, there's not been a uh, – there's not a lot of teams close to Indianapolis that made a state championship game this year. Boy, that's pretty rare when you talk, you know, eight teams in either girls or boys, right? I mean, you talk about the Indy area. Not, not to say it's always flooded with – Indy versus Indy matchups, but I mean, you take the Donut Counties plus Marion, I feel like that is not the norm. I would say that the the Indianapolis area dominance is a little bit less in girls basketball than, say, you see in boys basketball and especially in football. It's really prevalent in football. You, you kind of get that level in boys basketball, and then it seems to change in various other sports. So rare, but not exactly uncommon. I got to go back to last year because you had two Harrison County teams, Langeland Court in 1A and 3A, and then you had two South Bend, Mishawaki-ish area teams in Bethany Christian and Fairfield. Like literally the, the teams could have carpooled to, to get to the game. In 4A, we had Fishers in Bedford, North Lawrence. And then I am spacing who is in, La- oh, is LaPel 
and Forest Park. So we didn't have exactly that many Indianapolis area teams in last year's games either. So it happens. Rake, a week from today, we'll be at the convention center for the NFL scouting combine as that gets underway and all that stuff. Uh, Colts have money. They've got money to spend. They're the sixth most salary cap space heading into free agency. Question that Kevin and I debated earlier. Will this finally be the free agency period where the Colts sign a legit day one free agent? What say you? I think it's possible. And again, on this conversation, everything that I have cited goes back to a, a, a quote that I'm sure Kevin Bowen heard in person from Chris Ballard. And that was the acknowledgement of you got a quarterback on a rookie deal for the next four years. It allows you to play the game a little bit differently. I still think the priority is going to be re-signing Michael Pittman Jr. and re-signing Grover Stewart and getting Kenny Moore on the right contract for next year. But even if you take care of those needs, and, and maybe Julian Blackman is part of that conversation as well, but even if you take care of those needs, you still have money to play with. And again, you don't have to have this huge amount of money picking in the mid-round of, the, uh, you know, uh, of, of any round, but especially in the first round, you know, for kind of your, your, your rookie pool, so to speak. So you've got some cap space to play with. So I could see them, whether it's for a number two receiver or for help at cornerback, I could see them signing. I'm not even sure if I'd say a big money free agent, but how about this bigger than we're used to seeing from this football team? He is Greg Rakestraw, and he's ready to have the city of Lanesville not only descend upon his residence, but <laughs> make the trek down to Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Clearly, tomorrow. you've never been to Lanesville if you refer to it as the city of Lanesville, the yeah. town of Lanesville. The metropolitan of Lanesville, I believe, is maybe the better way to put it. It's, there, there are other larger metropolitan areas in Harrison County, let's put it this way. <laughs> Rake, it's got to be pretty cool for you. So congrats on that. Enjoy this weekend. And uh, as always, we uh, love these Friday combos. So thank you. Thanks, fellas. That's a great Greg Rakestraw coming up uh, right there on the pop quiz. By the way, to round things out today, I do want to make sure we mention this. Mark, kind of a fun segment we're going to have to end it. Part of All-Star Weekend and the social media aspect to it was one and only Shaquille O'Neal giving some love to the country kitchen right here on 18th and College downtown. Their owner, Cynthia Wilson, going to join us here. They've had quite the few celebrity shout-outs, appearances, visits over the years. They actually have a page on their website highlighting some of that. President Obama uh, made a visit there. I know Peter King uh, during the NFL Combine has brought Tony Dungy and company along for a visit there as well. So uh, she's got some pretty funny stories to share about that. So we'll, uh, we'll round out the show today with that before we get to her, of course, and anything else. Let's do a morning check down. The play on the court for the IU women last night matched the atmosphere, and that is saying something. It was quite the scene outside and inside of Assembly Hall for Caitlin Clark's, what you think is her final game, in Assembly Hall. But nonetheless, the Hoosiers were outstanding. Great first quarter, back and forth. And from then, Indiana kind of stepped on the throat of Iowa the rest of the way. Nice response from how the first matchup went in Iowa City. And a very important win that might get lost in the headlines. That's what Terry Moore focused on after the game. The teams that we've lost to are really, really, really freaking good. We went to Stanford. We went to Ohio State. We went to Iowa. Um, and if you just think about the Big Ten, this league is, is really good. And uh, we've said it, and I know I've said it. It's hard to win on the road. 
it, it's hard. And I don't know if it's a weight. I just, going back to Michael's question, I think we had to have this one tonight to help us with our resume. Getting for sure. Important for Indiana to win that game, and they now are in a much better position to host like they did last year, those first two games in the tournament before it gets into the neutral aspect of things. Caitlin Clark's final stat line, 8 of 26, 3 of 16 from the 3. Boy, she missed a ton of shots late in that one. Easily one of her worst shooting scoring nights of the year, her lowest point total since Thanksgiving. She did have 10 rebounds and 9 assists, so 24-10-9, pretty darn impressive. The efficiency, though. A bit to be desired. So outstanding effort, group effort. Uh, I think Terry Moore mentioned they changed up a lot defensively and what they did to Caitlin Clark from the first matchup. It showed. Coming, uh, switching to the men's side of things, Matt Painter's crew coming off their loss to Ohio State just dominated Rutgers 96-68, completely one-sided the whole way through. 52 points they scored in the first half, so it was it was never in doubt. Zach Eady, 25 points and 7 rebounds. It was just a dominant performance from him. Matt Painter talked about finally scoring against Rutgers. You know, obviously this is one of the best defensive teams in the country, and uh, uh, to put 96 points up against them is, is something that we haven't done. We, we might have done it a long time ago against him, but since he's gotten that program established, we haven't been able to, to really open up and score against them, and they've made it really difficult on us. So this was a big night for us. This is a big win for us. Big big off the bench, too, was Camden Heidi, who had 18 points off the bench. So Matt Painter huge, had, to be, had to be pleased with that for sure. Uh, they get back to work at Michigan on Saturday. That is a 2 o'clock tip for the P- Purdue Boilermakers. You know, Mark, I, I don't know how much it matters for six games in March, which is the goal, but I am impressed by their response after each loss this season. And, and they've played n- not upper echelon opponents in any of these three games following the losses, but it's been an absolute beatdown from the start. They dominated the first half against Penn State. Uh, they beat them by whatever it was, uh, I think 18 or 19. Uh, Iowa, same thing. Great first half, beat them by 19. And then last night, I mean, they put up 52 in the first half against Rutgers. Yeah. Rutgers allows 65 a game, and it's 52 at halftime. Along with Heidi, you just you can't like have a Purdue game and just gloss over Edie. Uh, 11 for 11 from the line, 7 of 8 from the floor. Again, shot the basketball 19 times, made it 18 times. 25 points for the big fella. In that one. All right, lastly over Gamebridge Fieldhouse last night, Pacers with, I thought, one of the better halves of the season. I think you obviously you throw in the caveat of the opponent there. Sure, the third quarter wasn't good, but I never felt like Detroit seriously threatened. I don't even know if they ever got its single digits in the second half. 129-115, the Pacers get it done there. We talked a lot about TJ McConnell and that performance. Tyrese Halliburton, though, 25-13. and 13. Great start for hit. Hitting a few threes just like he did Sunday night. A couple dunks. Don't say that too often with Tyrese. Health-wise, how's he feeling? The Pacers All-Star starter commented on that after. Like It felt like in the, the games, like my explosive movements as the game went on just kind of decreased. And I didn't feel that in the moment, but then when you look at, like, obviously all of our numbers, right, my numbers are down, and I'm not doing as many explosive movements. So I'm curious to see what the numbers look like today compared to what they were a week ago or what they were you know, before the injury. Uh, but I felt really good. I just felt like I could get to every spot, uh, explosive movements. My The step back going to my right, exploding from my left leg has, has given me troubles. And I got to it a couple of times today, missed them, but I got to them. So that's a plus. 
Great insight there from Tyrese Halliburton on his health. There is one nitpick I have I didn't like about last night. I want to share that on the other side. Uh, but, Mark, did you see who was in the building last night at halftime? I did not. Who did I miss? The Red Panda oh. was in the building. I hate to say this. Oh, no. Has she lost her fastball? I have seen some videos lately where she's dropping a lot of plates. I'd and- like to think those are photoshopped. I would like to as well, or maybe AI generated. That's the kind of route we're going these days. The AI generated plates breaking. Unfortunately, we're going. I mean, she's been doing this for thirty plus years, right? right? And again, I'm saying, you know, is this MJ with the Wizards? That's kind of what I'm asking here. She's still wearing the same jersey, though. She's at the Blue Panda. Sure, but yeah, I I I feel like we need a thirty for thirty on her at some point. Um, Is she the the only one? Where does she live? Yeah. How does the unicycle travel? That and the old guy that climbs the chairs, he's been doing that, it for a Now, that time. dude's psycho. Yeah. That dude is certified psycho. I'd yeah, like to see him at like a breakfast banquet or something, stacking if, chairs. If he is at, if he's the halftime show, I've got to go to the concourse. I I, I can't watch it. I'm, I don't want to see, I, what would happen if he falls? I've I've asked that question a couple times when I've seen him do the halftime show. I'm like, my, my daughter's always like, where's the dogs with Frisbees? I'm like, I would feel a lot better about that than what I'm watching right here. This well, guy scares me. And you know me. the other one that you aren't worried about safety, but he is, I don't know if there's three humans in the entire world that are better at their job than the Simon Says guy. Oh, yeah. He is incredible. Mm-hmm. If all of a sudden, like, the visiting players are coming out to warm up for the second half and he's got 16 people still in the game, he'll just snap his fingers and boom, it'll be down to three. I mean, that is, that is a pretty particular skill where you got to be like, how did you get so good at that? You're like, like I can make a career out of this. Does he go to like elementary playgrounds and practice? Spencer, you're out. <laughs> get out of here. Go on the monkey bars. Showing up to recess around America. Big one for Butler tomorrow night. It goes without saying. This is, I boy, I cannot emphasize that enough. Seton Hall is right there, probably on the right side of the bubble. Again, we mentioned it earlier in the show, Joe Lenardi has now moved Butler to the wrong side of the bubble here. If you look at their final three games, Mark, it's like St. John's, DePaul, and something else that's not of significant note resume-wise for Butler. That's not ideal. So this is a quad one road opportunity against a fellow bubble team. You know, if you if you lose this and get swept by Seton Hall, that is not ideal for the Bulldogs. So if you get it Saturday night, I think you're Feeling better, feeling good, et cetera, et cetera. If you don't get it, you're going to need a lot, I think, coming up Big East tournament-wise for the Butler Bulldogs. All right, on the other side, maybe I'm nitpicking a little bit. One aspect of the Pacers game I thought we'd get, and we did not, not too good in my eyes. Uh, We'll talk about that on the other side. It is the wake-up call here. Mark Dykton filling in for Andy Sweeney. Mark Dykton pulling double duty here on this Friday morning hence the double the dueling banjos uh, dueling uh pianos at howl to moon they used to be a thursday night staple back in the day for I, yours truly i don't know if you've ever seen deliverance it's a pretty odd movie uh fun fact deliverance was the first date that todd and deborah dykton went on look at that uh so nine months why, later boom or no <laughs> well well why she didn't run for the hills after that suggestion from todd i don't know but if you've seen Deliverance, you could not pick probably a worse first date movie to go on. Uh, but yeah, the, they've been going strong ever since. So maybe maybe that's the secret. I don't know. Well, without that, we would not be functioning here on this Friday morning. Andy Sweeney is out. Mark Dykton, not only filling in as a co-host, but also doing his normal producing work for us. 
Uh, mapping out the rest of the day. I know Jake is out. I think he's off to Vegas for the weekend, so James Boyd will be in there. I think John's feeling better. I text him a little bit. Um, uh, I guess that was Wednesday afternoon. I was texting back and forth with him. He's got a remote coming up at GG's on the northeast side, so check that out. JMV will be back. Always good. To, uh, he rarely, rarely misses time, so good to see him back. I don't know if I'm nitpicking too much, and I don't know if this falls into you know Rick Carlisle's comments Tuesday. Jeremiah Johnson brought it up with us Wednesday as well, Mark. But you know, I'm watching the Pacers' first half unfold last night, and really I even thought about it in warm-ups. I thought, you know what? This could be a night that Jairus Walker gets to be that ninth or 10th spot. Uh, you know, you were missing Aaron Neesmith. By the way, nothing on the right ankle shin area, at least nothing I could see last night for Aaron Neesmith. So I think good news there. He's not, you know, whatever, booted up or anything like that. But he was out. Jalen Smith was dressing, but only for emergency situation there. So they wanted to continue to keep him out. Sounds like he should be good to go for Sunday when Luka and Kyrie are in the building with Dallas. Um, so I thought, okay, there's a chance that Walker could get in the rotation. And then when they're up like 20, 20 plus in the second quarter, I'm like, good. This will be a night that you get Jairus Walker 12 to 15 minutes. That never happened. He didn't get a single minute there. So, you know, opportunities like this, Mark, they don't arise too often on an NBA night where you can play guys that are out of the rotation. And again, I bring that up because Walker, you know, based off Rick Carlisle's comments to us on Tuesday, he played very well in his last G League stint. Felt like he earned some NBA level attention from the coaching staff. And that was a disappointment for me last night that we didn't get to see Walker. It is odd that yeah, you would think that, yeah, 20 points. Oh, hey, throw in some of the young guys, let them get some experience and everything like that. But then the Pacers just... That third quarter by... The third quarter was as good as the first half was. The third quarter was probably equally as ugly. I did get a bit nervous. I'm not going to lie. In the third quarter where I was like, man, if they if they blow this... Yeah, like, but uh, it's the Pistons, man. I, I know, but Cade Cunningham is pretty good. And I, I was just like, man, I, this lead was gargantuan. Now it's kind of in smelling and sniffing distance. And I got a little bit concerned. Uh, but yeah, n- no, no play for Jairus Walker. Uh, it's been kind of kind of been the mo for his rookie season which has kind of been he's there right. but he's not you know and then which it's just a little bit of a bummer I, I i get it it's not the end of the world by any means but it's just a little bit of a bummer in what you have i did think for the most part everybody was pretty effective off the bench maybe mcdermott would have been the one that wasn't truly truly effective but mcconnell was of course just outstanding per usual uh nice minutes from isaiah jackson i thought it would be topping continues to give them a good run and again, I know the Ben Shepard stuff doesn't pop up all over the box score, but he just, he's just a guy I trust. And to say that about a rookie doesn't happen very often. I, I thought it was nice to see six players in double figures. That was nice. Nice distribution going on there. Yeah, it was, it was very good balance. Yeah, very good. You know, Cade Cunningham, when you watch him, Mark, I, you know, boy, I feel like he can lull you to sleep. Like, that was one of the quieter 30-point nights. Mm-hmm. He, he was a tough cover. 30-8 and eight for Cade Cunningham. I'm like, gosh, is he going to get out of that hellhole? Ever, he would like you would like to. I'm sure he would too. I might but, know he's still young, but oof. still two games away from getting ten wins on the season. Yeah, for the Pistons, rough. Again, Monty Williams, an ugly year for Detroit. So coming up Sunday, it'll be Luca and Kyrie in the building. Luca went off last night, not only with a technical but with a scoring outburst as they beat the Suns. And then Saturday, uh, excuse me, Monday it'll be Toronto. Wednesday, the Pelicans. Just something to note on the Pelicans. They will be on a back-to-back on the back end of that coming up Wednesday. Now, remember, that game has moved to ESPN. So 
Uh, I don't know if you'll see any sort of resting the previous night or how they'll handle that situation, uh, but that is the four-game homestand there for the Pacers. You see this guy that sent the uh, Purdue first half, the halftime show at Purdue, the guy on like the the beam that's like 60 feet in the air? Or it's yeah. a woman, I guess. Yeah. Yikes. I mean, what? No. Are you afraid of heights? I wouldn't say I'm afraid of them. Like I, I mean, you could, yeah, you put me a thousand feet in the air with like a, a you know, a bungee cord. I'm not going to be excited about it, but I, I don't think I'm too afraid of heights. I can handle like climbing and you know, hiking a trail up a mountain or something like that. Not too shabby. I don't have problems with air travel, but I would say if you put me on a beam sixty feet up and say, "Hey, no net, no harness, do your business," I'd be like, I, "I'm going to do my business on my pants." I think. <laughs> Shout out to Dave Griffiths here from Fox 59. He tweeted out these pictures from the halftime show. I'm more impressed by how much of the Mackie faithful are sustained in the seats during halftime. Yeah, considering what the uh, first point, first half effort was with 52 points, that could have been an early night to hit the bars and everything there. Uh, yeah, again, Zach Eady outstanding last night. Cameron Heidi, very important off the bench for Purdue. It'll be Michigan. That's a CBS game coming up on Saturday. So uh, lay in the land schedule wise coming up this weekend, college basketball, you've got IU Penn state tomorrow at noon. Obviously that was one of the worst performances of the season in the first matchup between these two teams in Bloomington. We know Penn state without their leading score. We know they also pulled off a big upset with that late flurry over Illinois on um, Wednesday night. Uh, then you're going to have Butler Seton hall, eight 30 from New Jersey, a, Huge, huge, huge. Cannot emphasize that enough. Insert Donald Trump voice huge of huge. how big that one is for the Bulldogs. And then Sunday, it'll be Purdue and Michigan Sunday afternoon. Pacers, that's an earlier tip on Sunday, by the way. Five o'clock tip against Luca. Where does Luca rank on the visiting appeal for an individual player? I think I, before I've said Steph, and I, I, I put Ja Morant kind of up there for the little kids for mm-hmm. a while. I don't know if it's still there. I think certainly. that's adjusted since. Um, Steph, Ja, who else are you put? I would think Luca's pretty high. I mean, LeBron's still got to be up there. Sure. Uh, yeah, Luca. Who, who gets Do more? Do you put Durant over Luca? You put Jokic over Luca? I was going to ask, is Jokic a big? I mean, I'm sure he is, but like, fan. Outside fan, you know, if, if, if the Nuggets come to town and the Mavericks come to town, who's getting more? I think there's more Luka Jr. I would say so, too. But, I, I, again, I've been to a few Nuggets Pacers games here at Gamebridge, of course. And, I mean, they're definitely Jokic jerseys, but I don't know. I feel like Luka. Yeah, I, I would say Luka's probably winning that contest. I would Zion say it's pretty strong. On, on Wednesday night? I don't know. I feel Zion's been so banged up the last few years, I feel like. You know, the shine is kind of off of him, too. Like, he's still got his fans and everything like that, but I feel like as far as an attraction, oh, the Pelicans are in town. Got to go see Zion. I don't think that registers as much as it used to. That'll actually be um, two Pelicans games in three nights for the Pacers coming up next week. And Zion, the home game on ESPN, 730, and then 8 o'clock Friday uh, down in New Orleans. Did we look this up last week? Is Cody Zeller a Pelican? I believe he is, yeah. I think we looked that up. And he has not done We Grow Hair Indy? Shockingly, no. He needs to, though. Uh, Pelicans won last night. Zion with 27. Cody Zeller, two minutes off the bench for Cody. Hey. There you go. Gosh, they went deep into the bench there. Yeah, he could use the hair, regrow hair, Andy. Maybe when they're in town, you can give a little, you know, shoulder shoulder nudge. Uh, 34 and 22 on the year there, the Pelicans.
Um, again, coming up in about an hour, cool combine story we had. We saw Shaquille O'Neal take to Twitter to talk about his experience at the old country kitchen right here. And I guess just north of downtown Indianapolis, 18th and College. Uh, they've had quite the celebrity visits over the year. Their owner, uh, Cynthia Wilson, going to join us uh, to chat a little bit about that. It's obviously a free bait, freebie Friday for the pop quiz. Um, we'll do that as well. You said your viewing experience last night was concentrated um, a little bit more Iowa IU focus because <laughs> Purdue it got over pretty quickly. Yeah, and- I was watching. I was splitting time between Purdue and the Pacers until uh, Iowa Indiana got underway. Then the Purdue game was well in hand, so I was like, okay, I think I can kind of just go to Pacers and you know IU Iowa. Well, then the the Bally Sports app went down for me. Oh, shocking! I know. So. The that fourth, hasn't happened before. <laughs> the Did fourth, AT&T have anything to do with that? I don't know. The fourth quarter was underway, and I, everything was smooth sailing. And all of a sudden, I got the, sorry, there's a problem. And so I was like, okay, well, the fourth quarter just got started. Well, by the time that got fixed, guess what? Ten seconds were left in the game. and <laughs> They just winded the clock down. And the Pacers win. Oh, all right. Well, that was fun. So most of my time actually ended up being spent on IU and Iowa because I could not watch the Pacers game in the fourth quarter because the signal went out. So that was fun. I'm not sure if that happened to anybody else. It seemed that a I couple people had that issue. Okay, I didn't see the social media craze. Yeah, so that that was fun. So I was splitting time between Caitlin Clark and then reading some uh, Colts combine kerfuffle. So we can get into that just a little bit later about possibly hmm, being in on a tight end. Could they be in on Brock Bowers? That's that's a note that I saw that I kind of hmm, raised my eyebrows. Yeah, there. Daniel Jeremiah brought that up. He'll be on the Combine uh, telecast, and he's going to join us coming up on Tuesday. I was thrilled by this news yesterday. Did you see that um, uh, the man that, in my opinion, it was horrible at play-by-play is moving off the Notre Dame play-by-play? Oh, is he? Spot. That has that would, to be happy for you. That would be Jack Collinsworth. I'm thrilled that he's done. So what's he doing then? I, I don't know. Did and they move him frankly, off? Was I don't care. Was that voluntary or was that, well, you need to get out of here? I don't know. Now, it's interesting because doesn't Chris Collinsworth have a lot of say in NBC? I mean, a you lot would of think people so. feel he, like he's baked that into his contract. He brought the nepotism to the NBC studios, so yeah. I, would, I would assume he does have some you know, Jack brings some, some energy, sideline reporter, I don't know, pregame show, play-by-play. No thanks. Uh, Dan Hicks. That's the uh, mm. rumor there with Garrett. I didn't, frankly, I didn't even love Jason Garrett either. I actually like the old... Uh, Todd McShay, Mike Tirico do. The, the, that the, was a good combo. And the no duo I like, which again, NBC now is going to be front and center with a lot of these marquee college football games, not just the Notre Dame. They obviously have the Big Ten deal as well. Uh, I, I do think Noah Eagle's great. Uh, he is really good. And I think him and Todd Bla- Blackledge make a good team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do like them. I think the thought there is whatever the NBC marquee game of the week is, they'll do. I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe they did Notre Dame Ohio State last year. So they'll kind of fall into, if Notre Dame has the marquee NBC game, they'll slide them into that booth. Um, But yes, I was thrilled by that. All right, coming up on the other side, we'll get back into a little football conversation. We might ask Mark Dykton about his Bears. Where does he see Justin Fields ending up? There's been a little bit of chatter about that here in recent days. How will that domino effect impact potentially the Colts and certainly the draft position of some teams? We'll do that here in a bit and continue to recap a busy hoops night around the state. Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton here, 93.5107.5, the wake-up call. It was a full moon Friday, not myself in studio. That'd be horrifying. Mark Dykton has already seen me. <laughs> actually, you didn't see me short shirtless, correct? No, I was, you were thankfully, out that day? I was thankfully on a vacation day, and but I 
I did get the direct messages and and the notifications, and I just said, "What in the hell?" That is one going dude on pick stitched me next to ET, and I don't know if I really appreciated <laughs> that. I, I laughed at that one. I'm not going to lie. I, now, I, if Notre Dame wins four in a row at Syracuse tomorrow, I might have to break that back out here for my Fighting Irish. Oh boy! Uh, it's been Mark Dykton and I, Corbin, now in studio with us here. Um, Andy Sweeney out under the weather, resting that voice. That voice is fading fast, so. Uh, hopefully he'll be good to go uh, coming up on Monday. Again, a lot of combine coverage for us next week. The bulk of today has been spent basketball-related. We'll get back into that here coming up at the 9 o'clock hour. Mark, as I think our listening audience knows, you are a diehard Chicago Bears fan. And Unfortunately. If judging correctly, you are ready to be done with Justin Fields. Is that True. I, I've been res- I've resigned to the fact that it's going to happen. I do like Justin Fields as a person. I like him a lot as a leader of the locker room. I do think he's got a bit of a you know. St- I, I think he's got a kind of a raw deal while in Chicago with you know Matt Nagy's final year and you know Matt Eberflus and all that stuff. I do feel like, unfortunately, it's not all been his fault or anything. But I also see that they have a rare opportunity to possibly get a generational talent in Caleb Williams. And they've already said they need a historical haul to move off of that number one spot. So I do believe that his time is uh, is coming to an end in Chicago, and he will be a he will have a new landing spot. And I also think that will be one of the big moves coming out of the combine because about we're coming up on the one year anniversary of Ryan Poles at the combine. A week after that, they made the move from number one to number nine for Carolina's pick, and they got the haul that they got from the Panthers. I think something similar could be coming in the pipeline for. Justin Fields moving on as well, because I feel like they're going to want to make that move before free agency starts. So they can kind of get a jump on the teams that have the opening spots at quarterback. They don't want to have positions get taken up. And then all of a sudden their field for Justin Fields is, uh, you know, destinations could be getting limited. So I could see them making a move before free agency opens. It picks one and nine for the bears coming up here in this year's draft. I was reminded of something this week, you know, I've started to get a little bit more into draft centric stuff. You know, we, we mentioned we'll have Daniel Jeremiah, we'll have Dane Brugler, we'll have some of the big draft gurus, if you will, join us next week down at the combine. And the early consensus on this draft class is we're about what two months away from it getting underway. It's a pretty weak defensive draft mm-hmm. at the top. In particular, there's not a lot of elite edge rushers. And I bring that up to say, you look back on last year's draft, and it's so quarterback-centric with the Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, and three of the first four picks. It makes what Houston did with Will Anderson particularly interesting in that you know, Will Anderson cracked the top four, obviously, last year in that draft. He would overwhelmingly be the best edge rusher in this year's class. I'm curious if Houston, how much foresight they had to look ahead to what this year's draft class could look like of that position, a premium position, mm-hmm. and realize, hey, it's worth it making that move. Now they still get Cleveland's first round pick. So they're you know, the, that Deshaun Watson trade, they're still reaping some of the benefits of that. So they'll have a first round pick. I believe it's number twenty three there, late in round one. But that is something that I think is just interesting to note of, you know, obviously CJ Stroud. That one speaks for themselves and what Houston was able to do. But then when they came screaming up, trading with Arizona, and took Will Anderson Jr., obviously Colts fans are happy because it meant that you'd have two quarterback choices on the board at four and you wouldn't have one forced upon you. Um, But that is a trade you could look back on and think, 
man, it was a big haul to move from whatever they were, 11 or 12, all the way up to three. Uh, but that, you know, he had a really nice rookie season and obviously a cornerstone player for them at a critical position that I don't think is as deep talent pool-wise on an annual basis as maybe wideout or corner moving forward. Yeah, you're starting to hear that, you know, wideout, they're loaded, they're loaded, but there are some positions that we've been seeing. Obviously, we do talk to Dan- Daniel, Jeremiah, and Dane Brugler next week. We can kind of get their I th- their thoughts on is there anyone that can move up and all of a sudden crack, you know, oh, this guy is a little higher than we thought was going to be. Now, Jeremiah position. said yesterday, George Kittle, Dallas Clark, that would be the comp he would use for Brock Bowers. Is yes. that correct? Yep, yep. He said he's a, a top 10 player in the draft, would not rule out if that he somehow winds up in Indy. He reminds me of George Kittle in a Dallas Clark body, similar similar in how he you'd use Clark. If Kittle Clark had a baby, it'd be Brock Bowers. Oh, wow. Well, I guess two Iowa guys. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, I don't mm-hmm. know if two Iowa men have ever tried that before. Maybe. I, I don't know if that's the show to go. <laughs> this is the show. You didn't that have topic. that on the bingo card on this not, Friday no. morning? No, but yeah, it's, I mean, George Corbin Kittle, with a wry smile. He's choosing not to comment <laughs> on that. Dallas Clark is a pretty fabled name in this sure. town. And Dallas George Clark. Kittle, obviously one of the top five tight ends in the in the uh, league right now. So that is... The solid combos right there for and, Brock Bowers. You know, Clark, a former first-round pick, obviously here, and, and Kittle a little bit later, but certainly two very decorated tight ends and their respective NFL resumes. All right, a lot of hoops talk coming up at the 9 o'clock hour. It's also a freebie Friday. Should we give away a four-pack, Mark, to Butler? Sure. Let's Wanna do, do that. Butler St. John's coming up next Wednesday. Give me the team. How about this? Give me the coach Butler will face tomorrow night. Butler's got a game tomorrow night. It's huge. Who is the coach of that team? 317-239-1070. Corbin will take caller number six and the answer for that. Four packet tickets to Butler next Wednesday night against St. John's. We'll do that on the other side. Final hour of the week here. It is the wake-up call on 93.5-1075. The fan, Mark Dykton. In for an under-the-weather losing voice, Andy Sweeney. You lost the voice last week, right? Yeah, so, I mean, Jeez. if the trend is our friend, you better be watching out for a combine week, Kev. Could I'll be coming be next. your way. Gosh, that sounds like an awful time for that to happen again. Ballard and Steichen will meet the media Wednesday down at the combine. We'll be down there, I believe, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Chris Ballard's scheduled to join us on the show, I think, late Thursday, right around 9.30 or so on Thursday. We'll probably re-rack that coming up on Friday morning. So, uh, busy week next week. One of my favorite weeks of the year for the Combine. Shout out to Robert. He gave us the uh, Shaheen Holloway. Certainly Purdue fans will Mm -hmm. remember that name. That is the head coach of Seton Hall. So, we gave away a four-pack of tickets to the next Butler home game. Big one for the Bulldogs coming up tomorrow night. Shaheen Holloway, a four-letter word for Purdue fans? Uh, I would say so. That mm-hmm. and the Tobin character. And the peacock you, drop I pay, play on education. Again, I, I can sit here and be like, I've been very impressed by how Purdue has responded from each of their losses. Don't know or think that matters much for March. Am I underselling that? Does it matter for March? I mean, in March, if you lose, your season's over. No, I don't think you're underselling it. I mean... I guess if they would lose in the Big Ten title, then may, or, you know, at some point, if they lose in the Big Ten tournament, you know... Yeah, but that's still not... You're still not... I mean, you're not out of the, obviously, the big tournament at that point. Your seating may change a little bit, but, I mean, barring, like, a first, uh, uh, 
really quick exit out of there. I can't imagine they're anything less than a one seat at this point. So, oh yeah, they're they're borderline yeah, a lot. I, I don't. I'm not too overly concerned with unless they completely the bottom falls out in this last couple of weeks of the season. I can't imagine that their their seating is going to change at all. Which means my expectations for them heading into the tournament won't change. Does that change for you? No, 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 no. I, yeah, I, I don't think. I mean, opponent wise, I know they do face the rematches with Illinois and Wisconsin coming up. You know, a lot of people reacting to. It lost Sunday. Oh boy! You know, look at the calendar. You know, Purdue all of a sudden is is seeing the ghost of Christmas past, and here yeah. you go. Uh, it, it's happening again. That's why I've brought up Lance Jones so often this season. Mark is a, an X factor for Purdue. Lance Jones was not on the floor against Fairleigh Dickinson. He was not on the floor against St. Peter's. Does he naturally get asked about the March losses? Sure, but that dude is pretty crazy and pretty like. Um, you know, forgets about the last play pretty quickly, then I think that's a critical element to Purdue. Because, you know, what stood something out... Something in the name, Lance, that he brings out the crazy. Something <laughs> exactly might be it. Uh, it, it, it. Exactly. He's been very good, Lance, uh, to be fair, more often than not for Purdue this season. But, you know, when you think back to last year and losing Fairleigh Dickinson, you know, not only was it just the missing of the open looks, to me what was most shocking was just the hesitancy and the overall, um, like averse reaction to diving on the floor and just you know traits that you think of with with Purdue so nonetheless um, to me you have to be impressed by how they've responded again from these three losses last night they beat Rutgers by 28 they put up 98 on a team that averages giving up 65 one of the things Matt Painter wanted to focus on after that Ohio State game need more bench production and and he meant not necessarily like I don't need outright points but I just need, when guys are on the floor coming off the bench, give us what we are asking from you. I don't think they're asking Cameron Heidi to hit all seven shots from the field and score 18, but he certainly did that for you last night. So big for Heidi. He had been a bit quiet here as of late. I think you still want to see more from Fletcher Lawyer. He was probably the one guy last night that was uber quiet when you have a 98-point night. But I'd say n- even, even Mason Gillis's effort. It wasn't like it was nothing that's going to jump out at the stat sheet, but nine points and... Six rebounds. He's got to be happy with that bench production. Oh, certainly. Yeah. And, and I almost felt like when he mentioned that comment Sunday after the Ohio State game, I almost put Gillis to the side. Like, mm-hmm. he just does. He does a lot of the little stuff. And, you know, we've asked this with Rob Blackman before. I do think if there is kind of that six pseudo starter, it is Gillis. You know, at times uh, with Trey Kaufman Rand, you do have more of a clogging up of the paint. With Gillis, you stretch the floor a little bit more. So, it will not shock me at all, and hell, there's been many games this season where, you know, if Purdue's ending a game, per se, it's Gillis on the floor over Trey Kaufman-Wren. So, again, in Ann Arbor on Sunday, that is a 2 o'clock tip. They they couldn't flex that one? I guess not. That's CBS. Yeah. I the, guess you get Purdue, but Michigan seems like a flexible opponent. Do any of the Final Four opponents for Purdue give you pause as far as there might be a loss there? Because even Illinois... It's at Illinois, correct? Yeah, but I mean, maybe, but Illinois didn't look good the other night either. So I'm not sure really yeah, what to make of that. Face Terrence Shannon Jr. in that first matchup, if my memory serves correct. He's obviously back for that one. You know, another question you would have too is have you locked up the Big Ten by that? You know, you're, you're yeah. two games up. Uh, is that the final game or is Wisconsin no, the final? Wisconsin's the final one. Don't they still have Michigan State? Yeah. So it's at Michigan on Sunday. Next Saturday, home against Michigan State. Then March 5th, which is a Tuesday, 
at Illinois, and then Sunday, March 10th, you wrap the regular season home against Wisconsin. Four games, three different networks. Welcome to Big Ten basketball. Mm-hmm. Again, Indiana will be on Big Ten Network tomorrow. That is Penn State. Penn State has uh, dismissed their leading score. Kanye Clear didn't play actually against IU in that matchup, that ugly second half for Indiana a few weeks ago at Assembly Hall. That was quite the scene last night. The, 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 the images of the lines getting into Assembly Hall yeah. is probably what stood out to me. More than, I mean, sure, the whiteout and just the general crowd noise you could feel, but more than anything, um, that was quite the anticipation for her. And, and we rattled off, Mark, yesterday some of those ticket prices. Totally. That was insane. Yeah, and, and you're just thinking like hours ahead of time. I mean, you got families with young kids there and everything like that, but you're just like strapped in. Like, thank God the weather was pretty manageable yesterday. It wasn't like a rainy or snowy night or anything like that where you could be potentially like having issues or anything like that. It was a nice cool night wasn't too bad but man waiting out there for that long and yeah you said the videos just kept going and going you see like even the the fast frame videos and just stretching around the entire building did you see happen to see laval jordan's tweet i did not so he tweeted a few pictures from the game he went with his daughter and he also you know took you know a picture obviously of the court and a picture of the line getting in he tweeted crazy line for the caitlin show in bloomington one security guy told me that a guy drove in from Idaho to get in line at 6 a.m. From Idaho? From Idaho. Now, I need to Jake Query would be guessing how many hours it is. Mark Dykton, Boise to Bloomington. Give me a guess. I mean, this is a complete guess. I'll say eight and a half hours. Oh, gosh. Double it, right? I don't know. I have no idea. Boise to... Do we believe that? That seems... Oh my gosh, triple it. What? 27 hours. What? Boise, Idaho to Bloomington, Indiana. There's got to be more efficient road games. Could you not go at Nebraska? At at Minnesota? Hell, just go to one of the non... I don't know, one of the non-conference Iowa games? Yeah, Boise through Salt Lake... Through Wyoming, through Nebraska, Kansas City to St. Louis. Were there no flights? Beautiful we... Effingham. Oh, Effingham. I got a speeding ticket there. Really? Yeah. Is that where the cross is? The uh-huh. middle cross? Oh, yeah. There's no flights? I mean, I know we were talking about that earlier with All-Star Game stuff. You can't get a flight from Boise, Idaho to even like Indianapolis and just kind of get a rental car at that point and just cut some time out? 27 hours, Boise. And again, this uh, is—I I would put my foot down there. I'd be like, "No, we're dry, we're flying, or we're not doing it." This is some of you know what we could be getting here from a Caitlin Clark experience, and that happens quick. The WNBA draft. One thing that's different about the um, you know how how their off-season calendar is is you go draft like right into the season. So the WNBA draft is April fifteenth, twenty twenty-four. So think about that. Their final four ends what, like early April, like, like the men, and in less than two weeks later, you have the WNBA draft. So you're going to get a very quick like, do you declare mm-hmm. to draft, and then mark the Fever's first game is May 14th. I mean, we are we could be less than three months away from Caitlin Clark in a Fever uniform. You know, that's much different than how the NBA offseason calendar right. works, where you have the final four in April. Now it's going to be a two day draft for the NBA. That's in late June, and obviously your first game 
now is late late October. So I guess technically, if we want to get technical, the home opener for the Fever here in 2024. And how about this? I find this interesting. You go up to ESPN schedule. Okay. Mm-hmm. The home opener is Thursday, May 16th. All right. The season opener is at Connecticut on Tuesday, May 14th. They've got the little ticket tab uh-huh. for each of these games. The ticket for the game at UConn at Connecticut would probably be the better way. They're the Sun, right? The Connecticut, Connecticut Sun. Connecticut Sun, yeah. Tickets as low as $24 for that game, okay? Mm-hmm. That is a road game. For the Fever's first home game, the ticket tab releases tickets as low as $169. $145 difference. You think I mean, there's some anticipation for Caitlin Clark's home debut? Is that the most expensive ticket in WNBA history? Well, here, I mean, I'm scrolling through the schedule. At Washington, tickets as low as 206. I mean, are people really projecting her? Like, are 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 the is the is the secondary ticket market already there for her? I guess it shouldn't shock me when we rattled off the ticket prices last night in Assembly Hall. I don't know. Somebody in, in the chat says <laughs> Are you sure I do, he, he didn't miss here and it was Iowa instead of Idaho? That's why I guess eight and a half hours. I've been, I'm, I was like, I'm rattling off the tweets. It says Idaho. And somebody else said uh, 27 hours and where, uh, where they say 20, where to go? 20, driving 26 hours to watch Caitlin Clark go eight for 26. Ouch. That's true. Yeah, one of the worst shooting nights of her career, uh, of her season, I should say, is probably the better way to put it. Again, the lowest point total for her since Thanksgiving. Terry Moore mentioned after the game they changed up some things from the first matchup and how they guarded her. And boy, Clark went off in that first quarter. I mean, when I think she had thirteen of their twenty, I believe at the end of one, and you're thinking to yourself, "Here we go." Yep. Is he's one? You know, and and I'm showing Maddie Bowen, she's like, "You know what? I want Caitlin Clark to score what forty or fifty in IU to win the game." Mm-hmm. Obviously, IU won. You didn't get Caitlin Clark on that level, but nonetheless, a very important win. So just, we'll see if they match up for a third time coming up in the Big Ten tournament. I wonder where that is. The men are in Minneapolis. Are the women there as well? Don't know. Do, are, you, are you one of those people that say Caitlin Clark's legacy? is that she hasn't won a national championship yet, therefore she can't be considered as great as she is. I think that's kind of asinine. They're in Minneapolis. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think you can be an exceptional individual player and be a great talent. I, I, I do think there is something to be said for championships. Mm-hmm. And I guess when, you, when I hear the word legacy, legacy to me probably incorporates the championship label to it. But like just individual talent, individual player, I think you can kind of separate yourself yeah. from that. I know we're really kind of parsing words there. Right. I, I don't know if that's the exact way to describe it. No, I agree. I mean, you can you can make it two different arguments. You can say, well, she's as great as she is, but it's a team game in the, in the long run, so she's not fully responsible for their you know championship success or non success. So. I mean, we'll see what they do in the tournament this year. I have to imagine they're going to be one of the favorites, and definitely we'll be curious to see what the ratings are for those games for the you know, NCAA women's tournaments when they're playing. Now, your oldest daughter is not yet seven, correct? She will be seven on March 19th. Okay. Any Caitlin Clark intrigue, any of that yet? Not yet, but I did have the game will... on, and she kept like looking over and everything like that. But I, if I say the words Caitlin Clark, she doesn't really understand. She's in the mo- She's in the mode at this point where – she knows mascots of teams, 
Like we were walking around the NBA crossover. She wants to see Freddy Fever. And she's like, where's Boomer? Where's Rowdy? And like, oh, he's they're around here somewhere. Like Rowdy was baseball, but he's still around. And the Spurs uh, mascot gave her a tap on the head. She liked that. But she's more in the mascot mode right now than she is like knowing players and everything. But I am like curious, you know, I don't know, ticket like demographic or like just how the season tickets for the Fever will evolve if indeed this does happen. Caitlin Clark, for those that missed it last night, in front of Lynn Dunn, in front of Christy Sides, Fever GM and head coach, very politically correct after the game to be expected. And when asked about um, playing in the state of Indiana, obviously asked about the Fever. You know, even like I would think from a you know, a seamless transition to a professional environment, I would think playing for the Indiana Fever would provide something somewhat similar to her lifestyle right now. Yeah. It's Midwest. Uh, a lot of people could still be in drivable distance from Iowa City. We've talked about Heller, boyfriend, works for the Pacers, Fran McCaffrey's son, Connor. Um, but more than that, I, I, I just think you would want uh, Aaliyah Boston is already – you know, certainly going to handle a whole lot of front court heavy attention on that end. I I don't know. Maybe I'm biased and maybe I'm missing some obvious stuff, but, you know, more so than some other markets in the WNBA or even just team situations, I think this is a pretty good thing to walk into. I would think so because, I mean, her endorsements, you have to imagine, unless they're local in Iowa, they're not going to be affected nationally. Like if she has a sponsorship with Gatorade, I can't imagine that's going to go out the window if she goes to the WNBA into the fever and everything. So all those endorsements that she has should carry over to her WNBA career in Indiana or wherever it would be. And, you know, yes, the WNBA contract isn't as lucrative as it is for the NBA, but that's also all the endorsement money should carry over, should cross over from her college days, I would assume. So she should be set in that in that aspect. Uh, one other aspect, uh, moving from Indiana women to the Indiana men, we did get late last night from an NBA standpoint. You got a little Jalen hood Shafino, Trace Jackson Davis on the floor at the same time as the Warriors handled the Le- LeBron-less Lakers in that one. Uh, Trace Jackson Davis, 17 points in 14 minutes for him uh, last night as he uh, got a good amount of clock there. I think there's been some chatter in Golden State of when he would play over Kevin Looney and become kind of that first big, one of their first bigs off the bench there. Uh, Jalen Huchifino had four points in five minutes for the Lakers. All right, it is going to be a freebie Friday coming up here in a few. Um, that would be a Jiffy Lube, pri- or Jiffy Lube oil change coming your way, 317-239-1070. Again, to close things out today, Cynthia Wilson the owner of Country Kitchen here, a staple soul food-wise, 18th in college. Uh, they've also been a big-time attraction from a celebrity standpoint. Shaquille O'Neal took to Twitter last week to make sure he gave a shout-out, an in-person shout-out there. She's got some fun celebrity stories, and I know with Combine Week here, it's a popular place, so uh, we'll uh, j- uh, sh- she'll join the show coming up here in a bit. Before all, all of that, let's do a morning checkdown. All right, last night inside of Gamebridge Fieldhouse, it was certainly one of the better halves of the year for the Pacers. Nothing sluggish out of the All-Star break for them. Um, not a great third quarter by any means, but they were able to keep, keep that double-digit lead and hold on. 129-115, TJ McConnell, outstanding. You know, one thing you, you don't often see, but it was there in the first quarter into the second. The starters set a great tone, but then the bench took it to another level. McConnell, 16 points, 6 boards, 5 assists. 
a patented McConnell steal. How about two three-pointers for TJ McConnell? That's pretty nice to see. Don't see that very often no. from him. Halliburton, 25 and 13. Great start. Two impressive dunks. I was a little nervous when I saw him with a, a little ice wrap on the right arm, right wrist after the game. But again, the Pacers get it done out of the break, 129-115. Here was Rick Carlisle afterwards. Um, not everybody's going to play perfect. And, you know, he's a guy that, is a constant source of energy and um, he did great things throughout the entire game so you know hats off to him and look nobody was perfect in the game that's a hard team to play I mean they've they've developed a style and an approach where they they can stay in virtually every game and give themselves a chance to win and so you know our first half you know, put them down further. And they've been through so much upheaval and, 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 and difficulty that, you know, it's galvanized them, their competitiveness. And so they came out and really competed hard in the, in the third and fourth quarter, and they made it hard. And that's, that's what this is. This is hard. Hard things are hard. Hard things are hard. The Pacers got their fifth win in seven games, back-to-back wins. Uh, since uh, after the All-Star break, they wrapped up with the Raptors, and then they beat the Pistons. They'll get back to work on Sunday when Luka Doncic and uh, Kyrie Irving come to town and the Dallas Mavericks with a 5 o'clock tip, which is an interesting time. I can't believe the Pistons are that bad. You can't? No, like Why? It's not like their talent. It's like they're running out G-leaguers. No. They're but- running out like top 10 picks. Where was Cade Cunningham drafted? Where was Jaden Ivey drafted? Where was Jalen Duran drafted? Where was James Wiseman drafted? Like... You watch some NBA teams some nights, and it's like, wait a minute, that is literally the Fort Wayne Mad Ants. It's not that with Detroit. Yeah, but Rasheed Wallace and Tayshawn Prince ain't walking through that door. Well, anymore. sure. I think the but, problem I mean, they is had Bogdanovich before the trade deadline. I mean, Fournier is a nice player. He's getting in last night. You know what it is? Is that the Lions finally are having some like good karma come their way, and the Pistons have to suffer for it now. The fighting Dan. You can't Campbell. have too many good teams in Detroit. I feel like that's a rule. That's an unknown mm, rule. It's fine by me. Yeah, yeah. The so, brawl curse finally catches up The Tigers stink. The Red Wings, I don't know. Patrick Kane's stuck there. And then you've got the Lions with the one saving grace, and then the Pistons stink. That's how it works. You can't have too many good teams in Detroit. And Mark Dykton rules. Hard and fast rule. <laughs> if it's hard, it's hard, right? Is yeah. that what Rick, Rick Arles said? Uh, moving over to the women's side of things. Last night, the IU women took care of business Against Iowa, 86-69. Caitlin Clark, we talked about it all morning, had one of her worst shooting nights of her career. 24 points, 10 rebounds, 9 assists, but 8 for 26 from the field. Only 3 for 16 from 3-point range, and actually 5 for 8 from free throws. So she struggled all over the place. Terry Morin talked about the big top 10 win her Hoosiers got. The teams that we've lost to are really, really, really freaking good. We went to Stanford. We went to Ohio State. We went to Iowa. Um, and if you just think about the Big Ten, this league is, is really good. And uh, we've said it, and I know I've said it. It's hard to win on the road. It, it's hard. And I don't know if it's a weight. I just, going back to Michael's question, I think we had to have this one tonight to help us with our resume. Yeah, for sh- sure. Shout out individually for the Hoosiers, Sarah Scalia, 25, Mackenzie Holmes, her usual scoring, rebounding self, controlling the paint there. She had 24. Sydney Parrish was big. Orzan was big. Uh, very great balance in getting the win there. And, you know, I think what she's getting at for those kind of unfamiliar, uh, Mark, you bring up the top five win. 
should kind of cement them in a hosting the first two rounds in Assembly Hall. Now, obviously, last year they didn't take advantage of that, losing to Miami in round two, but still, uh, that win gives them a really strong win on their resume. And I think as long as they hold serve the rest of the way, don't do anything too crazy from a negative standpoint in the Big Ten tournament, uh, they should be playing host to the first two rounds there. So if you're talking IU women, you're talking Purdue men, you're going to get them very close to their homes. IU women, probably right there in Assembly Hall for the first two rounds for the Purdue men in all likelihood. It'll be Gamebridge Fieldhouse and then to Detroit for their tournament run. And if you're a Purdue faithful, you hope it ends in Phoenix for the Final Four. You hope so. You, you hope so. You don't want a first-round exit again. Speaking of the Boilers last night, quite the response, quite the offensive output. Put up 98 on the best Big Ten defensive team. Rutgers gives up 65 a game, 52 in the first half from the Boilers. Here was Matt Painter. You know, obviously this is one of the best defensive teams in the country, and uh, uh, to put 96 points up against them is, is something that we haven't done. We, we might have done it a long time ago against them, but since he's gotten that, program established we haven't been able to to really open up and score against them and they've made it really difficult on us so this was a big night for us this is a big win for us very impressive to put up that number again against that defense certainly indiana and purdue fans know all too well what Rutgers can do from a suffocating standpoint on that end of the floor again zach Eady, seven of eight from the uh field uh made all 11 of his foul shots there a uh, pretty special night for the big man, Cameron Heidi, important mm-hmm. off the bench. That is something Matt Painter talked about. More bench production. The wing gave that to them. Uh, Heidi down. That's a single shot. 4-4 four, four from 3. 18 points for the young wing. Yep. Uh, Purdue gets back on the road. They visit at Ann Arbor in Michigan. 2 o'clock on Sunday. Elsewhere, Indiana tries to climb out of their three-game losing streak. They're at Penn State. That's a noon tip. Is that going to be like a pick 'em game, you think? Or is Penn Boy, State going to be a couple-point favorite? I think Penn State's going to get the couple-point favorite there. That's a noon tip tomorrow. And then Butler has a huge one oh, tomorrow man. night at Seton Hall. Shaheen Holloway and company, 8.30 tip there. That is a big one for the Bulldogs. So, again, to update you on where things stand Butler-wise, certainly you can look at a number of brackets right now. We'll go with ESPN because the name, I think, is the most obvious to our listening audience. Joe Lenardi's latest update, and this was after Butler played earlier this week, he moved Butler down to the fourth team out of the tournament. He has Butler as team 72, if you want to look at it from that end. He's got Seton Hall as team 65 in Dayton in one of the play-in spots. So just look at it right there. You've got a team in the play-in. You've got a team just on the outside of the bubble, obviously, it's a monumental game. So Butler's had this stretch of, I think it's eight straight quad one, maybe one of them quad two games. They've won three of them. I think at the start of it, Mark, we mentioned three to four. You got to get three to four. You've gotten three of them. It looks like in all likelihood they're going to need another because, again, the rest of the way, DePaul, St. John's, Xavier, those don't offer great resume opportunities. Mm-mm. You don't get this Saturday night. You're going to have to go to Madison Square Garden, a place Butler has not had a lot of tournament success and try to get multiple games Rick done. Rick Pitino didn't do you any favors with the uh, St. John's slander. He added his team earlier this week. That didn't help you any, anywhere. No, no. They responded by beating Georgetown. Mm-hmm. So will the Louisville – it's probably an Andy question. Are the Louisville cronies going to be in the building Wednesday at Hinkle for Butler St. John's? You'd have to imagine so. Ricky P's boys? Will he be one of them? I don't know. We'll see how his voice is. Maybe he'll be out there. He's talked about going to that game, hasn't he? I think so. We'll see. Hanging out with Ricky P's boys. Mm-hmm. 
there. Wednesday will be a busy one for us. Can Chris Bauer, Shane Steichen chatting with the media at the Combine one-on-one, though. Chris Bauer going to join us Thursday morning here as we uh, get into Combine week next week. No franchise tag talk yet either uh, around the league. I haven't Correct. seen anybody yet. Nobody tagged. What are we, three days into mm-hmm. it? And again, deadline spur action. It's a 14-day window. Um, if I remember correctly, I want to say over the last handful of years in the NFL, there's only been like two or three February tags for these guys. So not too surprising. And you know, again, a part of Combine week is all about speaking with agents and settling some of your contract issues that you might have for teams and those respective agents with their clients. So that'll be a big part of next week. And then you'll start to see some actions play out following that. All right. On the other side, it is time for a pop quiz. 317-239-1070. Scotty's entered the building. Scotty, what would you say the difficulty is on this one? A 6 out of 10. I'm looking at the answers um, outside of the final one. All of the answers are in English, easy to pronounce, are not Sandy Koufax's grandnephews. They're in this century, yeah. Yeah, it looks doable. Yeah, I'd say it's not too bad for Friday. At times, I think the answer to number two plays in slow motion. But then yeah, I'm like, we, damn. We mentioned him today. I'm like, wow, he had a pretty good night there. Uh, pop quiz is next, 317-239-1070. All right, it's time for the pop quiz, 317-239-1070. You know Shane Steichen was once on uh, Price is Right? Was he? Yeah. Like, like he actually, got, he, got, he got on the stage? I'm pretty sure he got on stage. I, I think How he at least, we not found that video yet? He at least got to the, um, what do you call it, the four-person guessing? Yeah. I mean, just the contestant. Row or whatever. Yeah, I, I didn't know if there was like an actual term for it here. I don't know. I've kind of checked out since uh, Bob Barker stepped down. I can't really, can't really get behind Drew Carey. Is it Carey? Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say. Have we made a switch yet? No, we haven't. Are the beauties still around? They are. Yeah, they're not too shabby. But no, I haven't really watched Prices Right lately. So did you win anything? Did you get like a all expenses trip to like Jamaica or something? I'm gonna have to get. I'm gonna have to get those details. Maybe I need we'll to ask, find that video. I haven't seen that. Maybe we'll, we'll ask uh, him that next week. And Combine <laughs> next week in Indy. I'm sure he'll be thrilled to get into That's detail. That's not ball, Kevin. About, he talks uh, ball. He talks all ball. He's been a uh, frequent hoop visitor, right? We've seen him. He's at Purdue and IU. Who's that? Yeah, Mackey for the Purdue uh-huh. IU game. He was at Butler, and he revved it up for the Pacers yeah. game, right? Him mm-hmm. and Marcus Freeman were the same week. That would count as ball. He would talk that ball, right? He, I, I believe he would a little bit. Last night, Tamika Catchings revving it up there. Certainly very busy during All-Star Weekend. Boy, she's probably the only, I guess, important fever figure that was not in attendance in Bloomington last night for Caitlin Clark. Um, all right, it's time for the pop quiz. Again, 317-239-1070. No matter what happens, it will be a Jiffy Lube oil change going your way. Mark Dykton, a number, one through eight. Let's go split it down the middle. Caller three. Boy, this is doable. Really doable. Yeah. Who we got, Corbin? Hey, Jay. Hey, guys. How we doing? Jay, we're doing great, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Jay, who's your favorite athlete of all time? I'm a, I'm a Bulls fan, so MJ is my guy. Okay. When you get into the MJ-LeBron debate, does it get heated? It can. I mean, I don't see really how it does because, you know, sports are about winning. How is MJ not the greatest of all time? So. I'm with Jay. I don't think that debate is even a debate. Jay, that was impressive. That was a calm just stomp of the throat right mm-hmm. there in a very quick manner. 
on that. Uh, anything on the weekend agenda, Jay? Uh, I'm a middle school basketball coach, so we're preparing for our tournament this week. Here we go. So, you want to give a shout-out to the squad? Welcome. Absolutely. Stony Brook Middle School in Warren Township oh, yeah. here, in, here in Indy. Stony Brook had some dudes when we played them back in the day. Yeah, we're, we're trying to get it back, trying to get the program back. We got a great, great eighth grade team this year. These girls are really good. So, so got, what, what, did you say Marion County tourney or what's the – is it Mick? What do we got yeah, here? It's Mick. Yep, Mick is uh, next week. Jay, Jay is showing him more MJ highlights than LeBron highlights when he's breaking it down. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> not a lot of LeBron stuff. We can't keep him flopping all over the place. So you said this is seventh grade girls? Eighth grade. Eighth grade girls. Do they care about Caitlin Clark? Uh, some of them do. Sure. Some of them do. They're, they're kind of more, I think Aaliyah Boston is probably more of their, like, speed than Caitlin is. But Boy, Aaliyah Boston, like she brought quite the crowd over to the crossover event. Were you in there, Mark, when she was signing in the I WNBA? Didn't see, no, I didn't see Aaliyah Boston that day. Yeah, she brought quite – I enjoy her uh, commentary on Big Ten Network mm-hmm. as She's well. She's very good. She's done a nice job here in the offseason with that. So, Well, Jay, good luck to the girls. Good luck on the pop quiz. I think it's doable. Uh, Mark Dykton, feel free to start. Sure. All right, Jay. On this day in 1985, the year I was born, Indiana University basketball coach Bob Knight was ejected after throwing a chair onto the court during a game. Who were the Hoosiers playing when Knight made his infamous chair toss? Iowa, Michigan State, Purdue, or Wisconsin? Ugh, I feel like I should know this one. Man. Uh, High-intensity game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like it was a big 10 game then. Um, he and this coach have a pretty good relationship <laughs> now, or they did. It'd be like Stony Brook against, uh, I don't know, West Lane or Guyon Creek or Belzer. Man. Man. Who's that, Indiana's biggest rival? Yeah, it's got to be Purdue. I mean, go. it's got to be Purdue. All right, Jay. Our hand-holding has got to probably end after that one. Pacers <laughs> returned from the All-Star break, 129-115 over the Pistons. Who's the game's leading score? Was it Halliburton? Was it Jalen Duran? Was it Pascal Siakam or was it Cade Cunningham? Yeah, unfortunately it was Cade, even though we got the line, Cade Cunningham. Nice. All right, Jay. Purdue improved to 24-3 and with a blowout win over Rutgers last night. The only Purdue men's basketball team that got off to a better start was in the 87-88 squad, which was 25-2 and after 27 games. That team went 29-4, and losing to Kansas State in the Sweet 16 of the NCAA Tournament. Which of the following teams did not beat Purdue in the 87-88 season? Iowa State, Michigan, Indiana, or Ohio State? Um, we'll go with Ohio State. Purdue plays this team on Sunday, you said? Mm-hmm. What, sorry, Jack, I couldn't hear you. What would you say? Can I get those options one more time real quick? Iowa State, Michigan, Indiana, or Ohio State? Uh, let's go with Michigan. Stony Brook gets a big lead. I hope mm-hmm. they stall as well as Jay <laughs> just did there and try uh-huh. to milk, milk the clock. <laughs> Number four here, speaking of the girls' basketball scene, the 49th IHSA girls' basketball state finals take place tomorrow at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Where were the first girls' basketball state finals held in 1976, was it Market Square Arena, the 
Coliseum, Indiana State Fairgrounds, Hinkle Fieldhouse, or was it on the south side in Nickerson Hall? Uh, I'm going to say Nickerson Hall. All right, Jay, let's wrap it up here. 60 years ago today, Richard Petty claimed the first of his seven career Daytona 500 victories. He also set a record which still stands for laps led in the great American race. Within three, how many of the 200 laps did Petty lead in the 1964 Daytona 500? Like the price is right, aim high. Within three, you said, Mark? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, I'll say 190. He did aim high. We did. All right, Jay, thank you for that. Again, we talked with Greg Gregstraw earlier in the show of the eight teams in the Girls State Finals this weekend. Just one. That would be LC in the 4A title game. Really located within any sort of half-hour, 45-minute distance to Indianapolis, so a whole lot of flavor around the state. All right, of course, Indiana and the infamous throwing of the chair. It was Purdue. Cade Cunningham was correct, 30 points last night, uh, but the Pacers did get the victory over the Pistons, but he was the leading scorer. That would have been a good Michigan team, right, Scotty, in 87-88 that did not beat Purdue? Won the national title the next year. year. Thank you, Scotty, for that. So Mark started three for three. Uh I don't know. Maybe because I mentioned Southside. I I don't know if if he fell into that trap for number four, but that was the first of two slip-ups. Yeah. Yeah, Hinkle Fieldhouse was the location of the first Girl State Finals in 1976, and he shot high for the uh, Richard Petty laps. He said 190. It was actually 184. Close. Which is still insane. Jay, stay on the line. You'll get that Jiffy Lube oil change coming hip, uh, up here. Speaking of MJ, I uh, retweeted the video a couple weeks ago. Mark, did you see the Dwight Freeney Hall of Fame? Um, basically, Dwight Freeney finding out he had made the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Have you seen that uh-huh. video? So Tony Dungy is the one that tells Dwight, and that was at the Grove Golf Course in Florida, which is Michael Jordan's Mm -hmm. golf course. Um, Dwight Freeney was on The Last Word, which you'll hear tonight on these airwaves, the Colts Weekly Radio Show, and told a great story about how, uh, you know, the Hall of Fame has started to get away from the knocks on the door and starting to do these kind of personal, intimate settings and, you know, places that these people frequent quite Mm -hmm. often. And Dwight says, you know, at MJ's golf course, you wear whatever you want. So he is in a very casual setting on most days. Well, Tony Dungy calls up MJ and says, hey, we're going to tell Dwight he's in the Hall of Fame. We need him looking nice, though. So can you coax him into that? So uh, Dwight says he gets a call from MJ, who is his frequent golf partner. They play a whole lot together at the Grove. And Dwight uh, gets the word from MJ that there's going to be a photo shoot at the Grove. And he wants Dwight dressed in golf attire here. So there's Dwight looking nice. Shirt's tucked in. He's got the hat. Walks into the clubhouse. Next thing you know, he sees a gold jacket, Tony Dungy, and he obviously loses it from an emotional standpoint. Very quickly puts two and two together. MJ comes around the corner. Dwight's wife comes around the corner. She helped with it as well. Pretty cool video out there for the Dwight Freeney Hall of Fame. But if at any point he was concerned about the photo shoot after that point. <laughs> I would say that was on the back burner. Yeah. After that. Uh, probably pretty cool to be like MJ's best friend playing golf with him on yeah, a routine don't, basis. Yeah, don't gamble with him. But I was going to say, do you think they've had a better two? I'm sure they have. This is way back in the day. My high school teammate and I, Henry Plager, we were playing. Uh, Henry lived up, uh, his family lived up at Bridgewater Golf Course in Westfield. And we're playing and all of a sudden these guys are, you know, kind of on our backs. They're very quickly playing and 
they're in carts and you know we're two high school kids carrying our own bags and mm-hmm. walking and we're like all right we should probably let them um play through play through and, and now that i think about it maybe i feel like okay yeah they were playing through us and what we were going to do is we were going to putt while they came onto the green, you know, try to also kind of speed up our own play, knowing that they're going to zoom past us with carts. And I'm getting ready to putt, and Dwight Freeney yells out, "No, no, no! Do not hit that!" And I'm like, "What? Why?" He goes, "My partner's on that line, and I don't want him to see the break. We got a lot of money on this match." Oh boy! I'm like, "Boy, you're not messing around." You know, was it MJ? No, 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 it wasn't. I'm just saying. Uh, no, but I do have. Have I ever told you the other MJ autograph story? The with golf with, ball with Ryan Bowen and the golf ball. The golf ball, you've told me that one. Yeah, I think I've probably shared with our audience. Mm -hmm. I apologize if I share this before, but this is the Indianapolis 598. So the final Sunday in May, Indianapolis 500 that Sunday. My brother's got a golf tournament the next day, so he wants to go and practice. So they go to very newly opened without, I think, any houses on the golf course, Prairie View Golf Course, located on the east side of Carmel, butts right up to Connor Prairie, and they go out there and play. They pull into the parking lot. They said... My dad and my brother say there's about a half dozen cars in the parking lot, and they get word from someone that Ahmad Rashad and Michael Jordan mm. are coming up on the ninth hole. For anyone that's ever driven into the Prairie View Golf Course parking lot, you pretty much see the entire ninth hole on the drive end. The, the ninth green is right there, so it makes for a perfect viewing spot for that. Sure enough, they get out of their car, and here comes Michael Jordan walking up the ninth hole. Now, this is in between, and Scotty, refresh my memory. Bulls had home court in the 98 finals, right, over the Pacers? So this would have probably been between game three and four, I guess. You would have had two games in Indy. So between games three and four, there's MJ out playing on Prairie View Golf Course, and all Ryan had was a golf ball with a Sharpie. And MJ, you know, joked something. You know, I, I, I'm used to signing much, you know, orange-looking, much, mm-hmm. you know, the – the dimples on this are, yeah. aren't helping my my signature, but said MJ was really nice. Uh, signed uh, the golf ball for my brother, and for what fourteen year old Ryan Bowen at the time, uh, it's safe to say that made his day and made his year. Does he still own the golf? Ball? He does. Yes, he definitely does. Still owns it. Has it in his office, uh, at his house. So yeah, he's got it in a little bit of a case, and yeah, pretty cool moment. Golf ball does have to be the most difficult ball to sign. I know. Yeah, I think you see a lot of like. Uh, flags, you know, mm-hmm. in golf tournaments, you know, if you get the flag for the event and yeah. you kind of sign that. So, yeah, pretty cool uh, story Very for, cool. for Ryan Bowe. All right, speaking of famous people, really famous people, uh, Country Kitchen has been a popular spot for that. Shaquille O'Neal uh, descended upon it during All-Star Weekend. The owner, Cynthia Wilson's got some great stories about that spot. She'll join us to round out the week. All right, we're rounding out the show on a Friday here with a story that has certainly caught a lot of national attention, but right here in our own backyard over the last couple of days and probably will be on the attention of some uh, NFL Combine goers coming up next week, and that is the great spot that is Country Kitchen, and their owner, Cynthia Wilson, joins us now. We've seen Shaquille O'Neal. We've seen a little Shannon Sharp. I believe President Obama stopped there at one point. Uh, I know Peter King, a frequent visitor. And when Combine Week rolls around. So to get more on that staple that has involved a lot of the sports world, again, Cynthia Wilson, the owner, joins us now. Cynthia, good morning to you. Thank you for the time. Good morning. Thank you for having me. You bet. Let's just start generally for our, hopefully it's a small percentage, but for any percentage of our audience that is not familiar with Country Kitchen, tell us about the staple. Country Kitchen uh, has been a staple of the Indianapolis community for over 
32 years. Um, we've, um, we are a soul food restaurant. We prepare, I always say, foods that you would get at Grandma, our mother's house, on church after Sunday. <laughs> I love that description right there. That already has me foaming at the mouth on this Friday morning. Okay, from a celebrity standpoint, I guess let's just start with maybe the biggest human being that's ever walked into your place. That would be one Shaquille O'Neal. How did that come about? How did Shaq hear? What what was it like? Did he contact you? Do you contact him? How did Shaq make an appearance? Well, you know, I tell you, one of our biggest supporters is Mike Epps. Um, he's a family friend. He lives in the neighborhood. And, of course, he has far-reaching influence on people. So um, by him being heavily involved in the All-Star Week this year, um, he was in direct contact with many, many of the athletes. And so from what I understand, Shaq got in contact with Mike, and, and, and they called and said, hey, Shaq was coming. What did Shaq order, Cynthia? I was going to say, did you have to have 19 cooks all of a sudden come in? You know what? I was totally surprised that he um, he didn't eat a lot. He uh, <laughs> he ate the macaroni, which he gave us a very big shout out. And I believe Shaq had chicken wings. Okay. No, no, no. He had chicken wings and fried chicken dark. Yes, that's what he did. But he um, he was a very very he was very impressed with the macaroni and cheese. And um, in all actuality, he was so impressed with the food. The night after the All Star game, we took food out to the tarmac at the airport and fed his wow. his crew again. Yeah, that is awesome. That's incredible. Again, Cynthia Wilson is here from Country Kitchen Staple right there, off of College, just north of downtown. Um, certainly a spot a lot of celebrities have frequented over the years. Again, Cynthia, for our audience that might not be familiar, other celebrity sightings over the years have included whom? Oh, um, President Obama has been there. Jimmy Fallon has been there. Um, oh, my gosh, so many, so many people. Shannon Sharp, Shannon Sharp's a regular. He uh, was on the speaker's tour this week. He actually called last night and got carry out, and he dined in the night before. So we're so blessed and fortunate to have um, a good reputation with um, a lot of the politicians, celebrities, and actually the local folk, too. We do appreciate them. Now, President Obama, uh, what year was that? Was he in office? I guess it doesn't really matter if he was in office or not, but was he in office? He was not in office. He was campaigning in Indianapolis, and I got a call that said, hey, you know, uh, a major player is coming today, and uh, you guys need to be on point. So didn't really know who it was, and, and when he showed up, it was pandemonium then also. If that was his stop when he was at the fairgrounds, I was covering that for my college radio station. Oh, so he really? might have gone to Country Kitchen right after well, that. This is a dumb question. Do, when they're campaigning, is there a secret service? I mean, not, maybe not secret service, but, I mean, the security team has got to be huge, right? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And secret, secret service hit us like uh, gangbusters. They brought <laughs> dogs in. They were in the kitchen. They were in the bathrooms. All the streets, uh, I think two blocks around, were cut off. No one could get in if you wasn't in the restaurant. Uh, my employees uh, had to let the Secret Service know who they were as they were coming to the building. But other than that, no one could get in. Cynthia wow. Wilson, the owner of Country Kitchen. Real quick, Cynthia, what's your f- favorite personal dish on the menu? 
Oh, you know, we we prepare um, all of our vegetables um, fresh. So my favorite would probably be the collard greens because they're picked every day, cooked, and um, they're not from a can. They're fresh. Give me that shack order one more time, Cynthia. If if I'm, you know, when I'm stopping in next, I got to get the shack (laughs) order. Give that to me one more time. The shack order was macaroni and cheese, chicken wings, and fried chicken Mm -hmm. dark. Say no more right there. That is outstanding. We'll end with this, Cynthia, and I love the story. I assume Combine Week is popular, NFL world. Um, I know Peter King's been a frequent visitor. I I assume you're expecting a decent crowd here coming uh, up during Combine Week. Yes, this will be Combine Week has been good to us in the past. This will be the first combine that we've been open to dine in since the fire. So I'm I'm hoping that the people that used to come will still come and um it it's always been a awesome week. Reporters even come and eat. The coaches come and eat. Everyone comes from the combine. Absolutely love it. It is an indie staple through and through. That is the country kitchen of course right there off 18th and college. Cynthia, can't thank you enough. I know you're busy here late in the week. Appreciate you sharing a pretty cool local story with us here to round out our show. And we appreciate you as well. Thank you so much and have a good day. You do thank the you. same. Cynthia Wilson, uh, showing up to the tarmac. Yeah, that's awesome. With the old country kitchen action. I can't even imagine the scene for uh, Barack Obama and obviously security around that place back in the day. Mark Dykton, thank you, sir. Well, thank you. Pleasure always, to be here. Always enjoy it. Corbin, appreciate your efforts. Andy Sweeney, hopefully will be back on Monday. Everybody have a great weekend. Thank you for listening all week long. Right here on the Wake Up Call, 93.5 on 7.5.